Welcome everyone to March 24th, 1991 in the Legacy Series. It is Los Angeles Sports Arena. It is WrestleMania 7. But before we jump into that, I do want to say rest in peace to Joseph Hudson, uh, known otherwise as Josephus or the question mark. Um, I got that news on a day where I was in work mode. And it just hit me and turned me sideways because if you guys watch the NWA at all, this was a guy who became with Aaron Stevens, I think, almost the heart of that wrestling company. Josephus, um, I think, was always an interesting character, even though it was the question mark character that got him over. I think Josephus was a little closer to my kind of fandom, but I still found myself becoming a fan of the question mark and Aaron Stevens because my goodness did they commit to it and I think we live in a world at least for myself that I don't see a lot of questions and a lot of question marks I see a lot of answers and not a lot of questions everywhere I look and yet the most engaging thing in life is often questions we're on a pay-per-view in Wrestlemania 7 that will have some good matches some bad matches, and some amazing moments. And I think about the amazing moments we're going to talk to you about, and they come out of questions. They come out of vulnerability. They come out of people figuring things out. Um, I don't know what's happening next with the NWA, um, but I was not, I, I did not care. Most of the people who have gone elsewhere, I was glad that they went elsewhere. But this guy who is lost to us now, Josephus, that is ripping out the heart of the company rest in peace uh prayers to the family and shout out to all the people on twitter that uh in the industry who shouted him out because sometimes if you're not in wwe or another big company you don't see a lot of that but that was a hard uh week and this 2020 2021 just seems like man can someone hit the brakes and give us a turn somewhere we move into WrestleMania, though, and as I said, there are going to be some moments that are the reason that we do this show. There are going to be some moments that I got chills, all tears in your eyes, just history, um, culminations, moments, storytelling. So we're going to get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, the hype is back. Grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, he is Mr. Ms. Fan, The Brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fan. Indeed, starting off on a bit of a somber note, uh, I will echo everything that um, my, my dear colleague said about Josephus, a.k.a. the question mark, a uh, huge highlight of when we were covering NWA power and um, just uh, really shocking because uh, can't have been much more than a year ago that we saw him and he looked uh, as good as anyone would look. So on top of everything, just goes to show you, um, you know, value the people that you are around, the people who are important to you. Tell you how you tell them how you feel about them because uh, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. So uh, so yeah, definitely R.I.P. to that that great talent, and uh, by all accounts, a very good person. So um, uh, we are moving on. 
to WrestleMania 7. And, uh, yeah, this one is a doozy. This is, uh, in some ways, the polar opposite of WrestleMania 6, where it seemed like no match mattered but the main event. Tonight, there will be emphasis on the main event, but to me, it feels like uh, many other matches mean a whole lot more. Certainly, I will enjoy a lot of the other matches more from the undercard. There will be some real highlights. There will be a couple of lowlights as well as we go along, but uh, it's definitely showing off how 1991 is diverse and interesting and engaged in a way that 1990 was just flat and unengaged and phoned in in many ways, in our opinion. So there is a lot of good stuff that we are going to talk about. It is WrestleMania 7. It is bedecked with the red, white, and blue with flags. It's the most patriotic event of all time, yet that patriotism could not sell at a stadium, but it has drawn us and we are going to watch it and cover it for you right now. It is absolutely the um, culmination of goodwill burned. Because <laughs> as you said, they're doing everything to make this the biggest WrestleMania of all time. Mm. Uh, with, from the, the patriotism, the main event angle, trying to revive Hulk Hogan in that way. But um, they will also do something that I didn't realize happened. And we'll get into it, which is. Everybody who made 1987 and everything we talk about at the top, top, what it is, is featured prominently in this show. <laughs> so you would think this would be almost a return to 1987 in its own way. But it almost becomes one of those things that we're going to see in the future where when you know that you've burned goodwill for years, you try to stack that WrestleMania with feel good moments and with you know using people. But then. Sometimes it's just a WrestleMania moment, and it's not a continual thing. Yeah, absolutely so. And uh, this is what we've been talking about all along. You know, it doesn't matter sometimes what you do today. It matters what you did yesterday. What they did yesterday was kind of drive a lot of fans away. So even though now they're producing something that uh, I think is a lot better than last year, it's only mm -hmm. going to do so much to stem the flow, because once you lose people, they're pretty well lost unless you have something incredible to draw them back in, and we're not really going to get that until Stone Cold Steve Austin comes along. Yeah. I mean, I have some some pretty high claims about some of the. There are some moments up here to me that are that they can sit with pretty much anything we've done in this series so far. Oh, yeah, I know. There's a lot of great stuff on this WrestleMania. You know, some bad stuff as well, as we mentioned. But, uh, yeah, the top... I don't know, four, maybe five matches or so, man, they can stand up with just about anything, and that's not just matches, that's moments as well, so there, there's a lot of good stuff on the show, I'd say definitely much more good uh, than bad, which was definitely not true last year. We also have an interesting thing where Gorilla Monsoon is on commentary, but aside from that, there is not a single uh, person with him. Well, it's like 90% Bobby Heenan, but yes, he will sub out uh, not once but twice so that he can return to the ring and uh, manage one last time at WrestleMania. We will not see him at ringside managing again, I believe, at a WrestleMania event, but uh, maybe not at any event, sadly. But uh, yeah, a lot of Heenan, a lot of Monsoon, but also some Lord Alfred Hayes, which is a delight. Also somebody else who, well, <laughs> maybe less than a delight. <laughs> Oh, man, I don't know. I'm trying to put these in context, but like I said the other week, I never spent the, the better years of WWF, the Legacy Series, looking forward to the pay-per-views. Like, there were some that, to me, 
there were like 107 matches and none none of them were great matches but it was in an era where the stories and characters mattered so much mm, yep. but now it's like hey there's some stuff that they're, they're putting a lot of time and attention into but yet i don't care as much overall and so i feel like we're in a complete flip in some ways from other times yeah yeah the the <laughs> you never know exactly what to expect from era to era even from year to year because they will show you uh something a little bit different as you go along it's a bit you know we're in, we're in a bit of an odd time we've talked about that before how some things are going to really be popping soon uh other things not so much so um you you get a lot of uh up and down the card stuff on this show but i'm still very excited to jump into it absolutely uh, the only other thing we've discussed before that I think is appropriate here is this is another weird show where you got some matches and some angles that are such throwaway, and then you got others where it's like I want to know the wrestler's input and the agent because to the smallest detail, this is some of the greatest booking of all time, and they'll sit like right next to each other on the guard, and it's like are the same agents or the same creative, like are the same people working on every match in the show or like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this is also the mystery that we've talked about. How can the same people who, uh, here's another one for you. How can the same person who somehow put together this, uh, Savage Warrior match, mm. which is so famously good and so famously fantastic. How can this be the same guy who, couldn't book Warrior to one interesting match or feud in his entire title run. You know, where was this before? So even with the same people involved, and you know it's the same people, it's such a difference of what is produced, and I don't really know how to explain it. You know, I'm sure there's some explanation, but it does definitely come off very strange. That is an amazing point, but we will not bicker at our blessings today. <laughs> uh, we will take them and be thankful for them. Because they don't always come along here. Uh, Willie Nelson kicks off. And, man, if you did not watch wrestling back then, and you, and I say he's wearing a championship belt that they sell, and you think about the kind of belts that they sell these days. Back in the day, they sold these little toy belts that were so tiny that even children can't wear them. And somehow Willie Nelson has it around his waist. He's a uh, slim man for sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Willie Nelson kicking us off. So I, I don't know what to make of that, but I do know what to make of the next thing because uh, for the first match we will be cursed, uh, unfortunately, for all the good things we have said because uh, on commentary we have none other than Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and uh, all I can say is I guess it's better than him wrestling a match. So here he comes marching down to ringside. Yeah. And he did not do as bad as I imagined he would do. So mm-hmm. if it means not having a match, I might actually take one match on commentary. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's Duggan at least aware that uh, you can't just yell ho and uh, USA on commentary. He actually didn't do that badly. I'll give him credit. Yeah, he used a different voice, which I hate to say it, but Piper and Savage and others could maybe learn from that uh, <laughs> as they go forward into the booth. I agree, yeah. Tweak it a little bit, you know, it helps. Uh, I'd still take Piper and Savage, I think, even in their uh, lower form. But, uh, yes, showing adaptability. It didn't expect it, and he did actually show some, so credit to Duggan. 
In the back, we got Sean Mooney, who is with the Rockers, who have become almost the mainstay for kicking off WWF pay-per-views. They talk about things. um, I don't know things that they always (laughs) talk about, like energy and jumping up and down and stuff like that, maybe. Yeah, pretty nondescript. Uh, I did notice that they uh, assured us that they are tag team specialists, uh, contrary to what we maybe have been noticing with our own eyes. So maybe protesting too much. I'm not sure, but they, they had that point to make. Yes, Marty Gennetti says it, and then Sean Mooney follows up. Uh, you are indeed tag team specialists. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case anybody forgot. So uh <laughs> see what they are in a year from now, Sean Mooney. Absolutely. Oh, my. So we go to this match, and uh, I'll say this is definitely one of my favorite matches on the card. I think this is a pretty great match. There's a lot of fun stuff in here. It is the Rockers against Haku and Barbarian, and even on paper, that kind of excites me just to look at it. Yeah, I mean, we followed the faces of fear in the WCW, um, the Rockers mainstays here in WWF, and you just got a size difference, but you also know what Haku can do, so... When you got Barbarian in there, you got that distinct difference. When you got Haku in there, you got a deceptive difference because he's also a bigger guy, but he can do also what the Rockers can do. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything they can do that Haku can't, to be honest, but my opinion of Haku is sky high. So, uh, oh, man, yeah. These two, Haku and Barbarian, here they are teaming up, and we know they're the faces of fear. They're going to be for years, but, man, like, WWF was not that interested in having these two team up. I'm just astounded. Like, I don't know if it were me, this team would be like a staple of the whole nineties. And they fit so well in the WWF too. You'd think they would have kept them around. So I don't know if this is another case where they were just deemed old before their time or something, but uh, I certainly would have kept them around quite a bit longer. Well, I will go ahead and tell you, you know, spoiler for things to come. All right. If we were if we were asked if we were going to do this show continually based on what the tag division is right now, I'd be jumping off the show. So, <laughs> uh, are you referring to the uh, champions that we're going to have in a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's we're going to hit a very low point a little later on. It's there's just a lot. There are so many good tag teams here, but yeah, no, we're going to be cursed with uh, spoiler alert: the Nasty Boys later in this show, and I can think about. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty, thirty, fifty tag teams who I would rather see in that spot. So yeah. I feel like when I started watching it was a lot of bushwhackers, a lot of nasty boys, a lot of natural disasters. So I think we're moving into a very gimmick heavy um and wrestling light, light, light version of the tag division. Yeah, of the whole company, I think. You know, in yeah. time we'll definitely get there. But but we got some good stuff as well, so we'll we'll hold on and see what happens. We got some usual spots that are always a little different. The Rockers do their double teaming, double elbow drop, double kip up, but then uh on the return up, Barbarian hits them with a double clothesline that doubly turns them inside out. Oh yeah, so many great spots, a lot of uh Really nice bumping, a lot of really nice double teams, uh, strength spots, all this stuff. My favorite moment of the match, I think, is Haku picking up Marty and doing, like, not just one backbreaker, but, like, multiple backbreakers without Mm. putting him down. And I'm like, man, he should just do that until they have to take the guy to the morgue. And, like, you know, that would be it. You would win the match via death. So, So props to Haku always for pulling out really impressive, incredible stuff. 
one backbreaker from Haku is enough. I'll, I'll say that. So when he starts anything, I think that Haku does in um, numbers, you better be afraid. Absolutely. If he can lay a combo on you, you know, that's some Mortal Kombat stuff, I think. They're going to show the close-up of your bones breaking apart. So They do a stun gun where a barbarian comes in to help and grabs a guy by the head and jumps over the top rope with him. Yeah, that was <laughs> like a, a blimp crashing or something, you know. That, <laughs> that was a disastrous-looking moment for the guy taking the, taking the move, so that was some good stuff. If you're wondering how the Rockers can fight back, Hacksaw Jim Duggan himself will tell us. Well, they're tag team specialists, Gorilla. <laughs> Man, I don't think anyone was ever hit with that label so hard in the WWF as the Rockers were. Yeah, in fact, Hacksaw Jim Duggan knows that because I don't know how much they feed the announcers because Roddy Piper, again, didn't know Shawn Michaels' name for like the entire time he's been announcing until maybe the end here. Yeah, I so. think maybe uh, not nearly so much, certainly, would they feed them like they do uh, nowadays, where, you know, it's just like a hand up your backside, pretty much, and mm-hmm. just mouth whatever they say. So, yeah, no, a lot of freedom in this time. You can't tell me someone is trying to coach uh, Alfred Hayes through that headset. Just it, it would never work. So they're not even trying, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, I think he comes in for the perfect boss man match, and the first thing he says is that, I think Perfect is challenging for the IC title. (laughs) (laughs) While he's walking down with a belt, with a shot of the belt. I think it's waist. Oh, I love Alfred Hayes. Just just something about. I should probably, I'm sure there are some people who would hear that and be like, just, they would just dismiss Alfred Hayes for all the time for being clueless. And man, I guess I sort of get that, but just listen to him. Sometimes it's more important to like, enjoy life than to be like really picky about you know i don't know maybe i'm hypocritical because sometimes i'm down on uh jim ross and aew for seemingly being like completely lost but uh i don't know there's a difference in tone and feeling i love alfred hayes even when he's a bit clueless so it's good stuff yeah it has to be i think cluelessness plus something else yeah but also it's the thing i was saying at the start of the show like i'd rather have questions like i i am what, six years I I was uh, trained to teach it between master's and PhD, mm. and I still go to school sometimes, go to class sometimes where, like, I don't know what I'm talking about because, like, I'm doing a thousand things, you know, and so we got to make it up as you go. And I, I like, we talk about the authenticity, like, they're doing other things. Like, sometimes they're going to say the wrong thing, and I'd rather have that versus they always get everything right because, again, they aren't even speaking because they're scripted from start to finish. Right, yeah, I know. Give me, give me a little bit of that Wild West, and I'll be a lot happier, I think. If errors, <clears throat> if errors meant you should not be in commentary, Gorilla Monsoon would not be in the booth ever in his career. <laughs> and we would hate to lose that. That would be a tremendous loss for everyone. So, yeah, consider that before you make judgments. We got some startling information from Hacksaw. Uh, the fans begin cheering to get the Rockers to come back. And Hacksaw says, yeah, it's easy to be cheering when you're sitting in the seats. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I noticed that as well. And uh, I guess you would know, Jim Duggan, because you spend a lot more time uh, getting people to cheer in their seats than you do wrestling, because you do nothing <laughs> but play to that crowd. And then, you know, the physicality is almost an obligation. So... Yeah, 
I don't know. Weird, weird comment. But Jim Duggan, I think, maybe is not thinking as usual. So Yeah. If you have one thing, it's to be able to get crowd support. And now you kind of turn on that and dismiss it. So good luck, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Right. What do you have beyond that? Just just big hands that you can throw around. <laughs> so, yeah. So this one ends on, I think, double teaming. I think a missile drop kick followed by a crossbody splash on the top rope by Shawn Michaels. Yep, Shawn Michaels getting that pinfall over the big men. His last uh, tag team victory at WrestleMania, unless I am forgetting something. I don't think I am, but uh, it's a very good one. This is a match that, uh, you know, if you're picking and choosing, make this one of the ones you watch, because I would say it is definitely in the upper tier. Just a very, very fun match. Yeah, good way to start off WrestleMania 7. Amongst a lot of matches, amongst a lot going on. Gene Erkeland is in the back. He is with uh, Regis, Marla Maples, and Alex Trebek. And they do a lot of uh, the opposite of what Alfred Hayes was doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, a bit more tightly uh, controlled conversation going on here. But uh, I I don't know Marla Maples from from anybody, so I'm going to leave her out of the conversation. But Alex Trebek and Regis Philbin, uh, two people that I have enjoyed at times in my life through um uh always used to watch like who wants to be a millionaire with regis and uh, alex trebek of course jeopardy two guys who i think probably just within the last year both passed away so that's another couple losses for us so i i like them i'm a fan they they use them well on this show i think they're gonna do some funny bits and uh, i will be appreciative of it they will also be a weird choice with regis in the main event doing commentary i don't know what the thought process was there, but these backstage segments, I enjoy them. And, uh, I got to give a shout out to Alex Trebek and to Regis Philbin here. Yeah. I didn't know Marla either. And Alex Trebek, of course I know, but I never, I didn't watch Alex Trebek a lot. And Regis to me, like anytime you get a celebrity that is on his level, that shows interest like that, like those are the celebrities I'm never going to have a problem with, you know, it should always be based on their fandom, and then their popularity can be second. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And Regis, he's one where I don't even know what his level of interest in wrestling was, but I think if there's one thing he was good at, it was drumming up, like, engagement yes. and interest and, like, really selling that he was into whatever he was doing. And that, yeah. you know, I really appreciate that, actually. He put in effort here regardless of his fandom, um, to use a malapropism. So it's uh, uh, it's nice to see. He does some fun stuff on this show. He is, I don't know how to say this, because this is not a knock on Gene Oakland, because we've already called him the best at what he does. Mm-hmm. But he is pretty much as good as Gene Oakland in one try at, at, at uh, when they have him back there, and just like how absurd like the wrestling world is, but also not selling it completely. Like he does a great Jane Oakland pretty much. And that's a, you know, that's a high praise, but that's kind of when you get a professional who can understand what's going on and understand how they're supposed to react. Um, if I'm not mistaken, we get, uh, Re- is it Reed? Yeah. Regis is with the undertaker, right? Uh, later on, he will be. Yes. And he will be. Yeah. I, I thought there's some times that just like fantastic work from Regis. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, um, there's a lot of praise we put on guys in the wrestling world, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of talented people outside the wrestling world as well, which I'm sure will come as a shock to nobody. Regis, uh, I think, is mainly known for 
I forget the name of his show, but basically kind of like a, a morning interview type show, Regis and Kelly, I think. And, uh, you know, basically him interviewing like people from everywhere. So, I mean, what is it? You put in like, uh, 10,000 hours of anything. It'll make you an expert. You yeah. probably spent more than 10,000 hours interviewing just random people from anywhere. So yeah, if there's anyone who can make a role like this work, it's going to be him. Yeah. And it was Regis and Kathy Lee before that, which is going to be a bit that comes up later. Oh, in yep. Show. You're right. You're right. I'm not up on my Regis history. So thank you for that. No problem. I'm just older. That's the only, <laughs> thing. The only reason I know. Uh, but yeah, you're exactly right. I watched a little bit of Lex Luger on that show. And like oh, Luger yeah. is the last person you want to have on that show, even if you know him. <laughs> and if you don't, then you got to try to make it work. And that's what they do, though. It's almost like they go in cold and they got zero time to make it feel like that. And I, it's not a job I could do, but we see the benefit of his work quickly on WrestleMania 7. Absolutely. That stretch of uh, weird interviews in the middle is one of my favorite things on this show. So I'm just looking forward to talking about that. Nice. Okay, so we said the good, the bad. Well, after Bobby Heenan joins the booth, we're back to the ring because we need to have Dino Bravo go up against the former IC champion, Texas Tornado. Indeed. We go to that match right after Bobby Heenan calls those three celebrities Ham and Eggers, which mm-hmm. I enjoyed the uh, the mini feud between Bobby Heenan and these three celebrities on the show. Um, but no, we do have Kerry <laughs> Von Erich versus Dino Bravo. And at this point, I can only assume that Dino Bravo is employed by the company to this day because he <laughs> continues to be there far beyond at any point of time where I remembered him being relevant, you know. I'm surprised they didn't bring up that uh, weightlifting contest. I think the only reason they didn't is Jesse Ventura is not here anymore. That is the only reason. that It's, it's never going to be mentioned again, I don't think, uh, until not. Jesse, you know, corrects course. Absolutely so. Um, not a whole lot to say about this match. Uh, we do learn that Bobby Heenan has not learned anything from all his trials and tribulations because he is still making mention of the big boss man's mother. Uh, he claims he was doing it as a compliment this time, but, uh, just, he just can't leave well enough alone. He never could. Yeah. I don't think they want his compliments anymore than his insults at this point. So <laughs> it's not going to work, but you know what? He's already booked into the match, so I guess he thinks he's got nothing to lose. I suppose. He just can't take those those names out of his mouth, Big Boss Man and Big Boss Man's mother. So uh, Bobby Heenan, he also calls this the loudest WrestleMania in history. Uh, and they will do some uh, great reference to that uh, later on. And I don't know, they do seem very loud. You know, we, we made a lot of mention about, well, they couldn't sell out that stadium like they kept saying they were going to, but they still got a big arena. They got a hot crowd. Like, there's still a lot of people who are willing to buy in here. So a lot more than I think we'll see in uh, a couple, three years down the line at least. Yeah. So we get no shocker. We get the claw, then we get the punch, and the Texas Tornado is going to bring this one home. Yep, I'll say short matches go. This wasn't the worst. It was fine. Nothing really notable, but uh, we'll definitely see worse down the card, in my opinion. Yeah. So Sean Mooney is with Warlord and Slick. Yes, and Slick is a guy who is not getting uh, nearly enough attention. It it hurts me as I think about it, because later on in this show, Jimmy Hart and his clients are going to win the tag team titles. They're going to get to be backstage, and we're going to get to see how many people jimmy hart is still managing which is like a tremendous amount of people and he's slick and he's got the warlord and he's got power and glory and that's about it 
and you know we love power and glory but man slick is not getting uh the clients he deserves he's not getting the success he deserves i am just sad that jimmy hart is getting all this elevation and i don't hate jimmy hart but man i'd put slick above him in a heartbeat you're reading my notes again so um (laughs) (laughs) my first note is that slick needs to be used a whole lot more and a whole lot better uh, then they're using him right now, and later on somewhere, I have a note that when Jimmy Hart was doing an excellent job in the 80s, and I had a hard time recognizing it, this was the Jimmy Hart I started watching wrestling with, and this is the reason why I could not recognize him doing a good job. Ugh. In just two years, we're getting into red and yellow. Ugh. Yeah, we're getting into Jimmy Hart is just irritating. It's kind of his only thing, and... Uh, I really thought that this was a celebrity segment where Sean Mooney was interviewing two people who were about to be on a Batman uh, show to challenge Batman, but I was wrong. <laughs> it's got that kind of look. Uh, you got Slick, and uh, he's got all his stuff. And I'll say, this is going to be a tough year for managers because uh, we're not only going to see the end of Bobby Heenan, I think we'll see the end of Slick as well before mm. this year is out. Um or maybe very early into 1992, so that is rough stuff. But we uh, might yeah. as well see the end of power and glory as well. Uh, yeah, that's gonna that'll hurt when we talk about that. But uh, um, Slick cuts a very nice promo. Uh, he says we take a whole pack of dogs to take down the warlord, and they're uh, fighting Davy Boy Smith, of course. Um, he says he says we take a pack of dogs, and then he says Davy Boy should pack it in. And that is some good wordplay that even mm. Batman would be uh, taken aback by. Uh, <laughs> Warlord, you know, he looks how he looks. He's wearing a weird mask, which maybe lends to that uh, Batman criteria for a villain. Yeah, he's got a good look. Um, I will ha- I will have some few things to say in the match that even surprised me, but he is taking on British Bulldog. So Bulldog is squatting with his dog and talking about how he can break the fool Nelson. <laughs> It's not Matilda, it's Winston now, and apparently Davy Boy can still understand that dog, but now if only anybody wanted to listen to Davy Boy's promos. (laughs) Okay, folks, we are back for our grudge matchup with the Bulldog and the Warlord. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what they're really having a grudge about, to be honest, but uh, I will say on paper, this match ought not to work. Uh, Warlord is kind of useless. Davy Boy, you know, he's definitely good with the right person, but I think uh, he can be very um meh if he's not with the right person and yet uh i'd say this is this is actually a a good match you know maybe better than you would definitely think on paper i would certainly think it's one of warlord's best uh single matches ever and maybe the only recorded case of davy boy uh carrying uh, a guy who didn't have much to offer so there's something here you know it's not one of the best things on the card but it's it's a good match actually i think I did not have it noted as a good match. Okay, um, fair enough. <laughs> I will not argue though. Like I like, I like having. I think a lot of these matches are probably going to need more than one perspective. Um, and I actually thought the moments I liked were Warlord moments and not Bulldog moments. Oh, interesting. Tell me more about that. There's like a belly to belly suplex where it comes out of nowhere. And he snaps it off, and I'm like, I didn't know Warlord could snap anything off. Like, <laughs> there's like two times where he's just like really quick and. Like, I would be, let's just minimize this guy and let him do two or three things if he can do something fast. Like, I never knew he could do anything fast. I'm way down on Bulldog in this one. I know that's not fair, but I'm still waiting. 
Like British Bulldog is going to main event SummerSlam '92. He's going to main event world title matches on pay per view. So I, he's got to have his moments. But I just want to say for myself right now, his tag his tag run was disappointing. So far, he's not been that good here. Like even his crucifixion, folks. When you do the crucifixion, you grab up under under the arm and you swing yourself up in the air around the body. He grabs around the arm and then just like jogs to the back of the body and climbs up the back and then does his. Uh, crucifix so i don't know if bret hart ruined him for me and i hate that if that's the case but so far i have not enjoyed his work and you know maybe it'll get better because i've been a fan of him i think a couple of times as a kid but right now man it's just not working for me so now let's get into the other side of that (laughs) yeah i mean as far as davy boy goes uh i think he definitely will have his moments uh, you and I are not that apart, far apart on our overall opinion of Davy Boy, as I think uh, oftentimes he is not very notable at all uh, and was really elevated by maybe a few matches or mostly the other guy was doing the work, perhaps. But we will judge that as we go along a little more closely. Uh, I did think he was uh, not too bad in this match. Uh, certainly he showed off some nice power moments, as he can do. I think uh, he also showed some quickness at times. Certainly... Um, what, uh, impressed me the most is that, um, semi-famous final moment where he does get up Warlord and hits, uh, really just a picture-perfect power slam on a really huge guy to get that victory, so, uh, no surprise there. Watch the match for yourself, judge if it's, uh, kind of good or kind of bad. It's somewhere in that range, certainly. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't argue with that. It can be kind of anything. Like, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I also noted that as Lex Luger in this moment in history is preparing to challenge Ric Flair for the WCW world title, he doesn't know he will soon leave the company so he can come to WWF and team up with this guy. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> for whatever reason. So. Okay, we got Gene Erkelin in the back, and he is with the challengers for the WWF tag team titles. He's with Jimmy Hart and the Nasty Boys. Yes, this is another uh, moment where we are cursed to talk to some people that we don't want to. Um, I don't have any notes on their promo. It's just annoying, normal, nasty fare. What I, I do want to say is it's it's amazing. I'm grateful for it at this moment, but it's amazing their WWF run is relatively short. So they feel like such a WWF team, yet they will spend a lot more years gumming up the tag division in WCW, so we can be grateful for that because of what we're doing now, but it's just sort of strange. I never Googled the definition of the word yuck before now, <laughs> but that's the word that came to mind. I was like, what does that mean? Because it just came out of me as like out of just uh, the purity of my being. And so yuck is used to express rejection or strong disgust. So that was my feeling for the promo, and I also noted that this is more Nickelodeon heels to join Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very different vibe to these heels. That's that's a good way to put it, Nickelodeon heels. I can totally see them kind of menacing a group of children and then sort of being, uh, you know, upended by some comical booby traps or something. Yeah. Um, we will get more food fights. Oh, boy. And that's a promise and a threat, so... (laughs) Sean Mooney is with the Tag Champions, uh, the Hart Foundation. This is also, I believe, their last WrestleMania together. Yes, yes, absolutely so. And uh, Jim Neidhart must have been crying in the back to be breaking up here, because, you know, he'll team with Owen, and that'll be fine, because it's Owen, and he'll, you know, they'll try him on commentary, and 
later on he'll be in the big heart foundation but man this is about it as far as like really relevant jim neidhart stuff that you're ever going to see yeah he's still the same as, he, as he's been the entirety of the series so <laughs> you know he's kind of kind of yelling not yelling talking about things and and not yet aware it seems that the the end is upon him <laughs> Yeah, I mean, who knows what they thought was going to happen here, but uh, yes, we'll see Brett go to the moon and Jim Neidhart uh, not be in that atmosphere. I'd love to know who made this decision. Like, we are going to have WrestleMania 7 and have the heels, the Nasty Boys, win the tag titles. I don't know. The Nasty Boys are a uh, absurdly well-connected team, connected both to Dusty Rhodes and Hulk Hogan in their personal lives very closely. So wherever they went, they got some kind of preferential treatment. I don't know. I've seen some people who like the Nasty Boys, and more power to you. I don't understand it at all. I don't like them. Uh, this match, uh, it's not awful. You know, it's decent at times, but yeah. it's not very notable. It's not, like, I wouldn't really recommend it to anybody. So, you know, watch at your own peril, I guess. There were some of these matches where I noted there's parts of them that are not that bad, but the problem is... I so don't care that it doesn't matter to me. Right, yeah. That's maybe a good way to look at it. Like, just, like, the Nasty Boys, they're not doing, like, armpit spots. They're not doing kind of, like, the worst of their acts. So you just get them as sort of, like, pudgy, brawler-type guys, I guess. Which isn't the worst thing, but, I mean, it's the Nasty Boys. So if you are like us, then you are probably so turned off by the Nasty Boys that you're probably not going to be able to get too much into this match anyway. You can't convince me that Bret Hart is good enough to beat Ric Flair for the world title in a little <laughs> over a year, but he can't figure out how to retain the tag titles against the Nasty Boys. <laughs> well, maybe he was about ready to drop those tag titles anyway mm. and kind of go off and do his own thing. So That makes sense. You can judge does, for yourself. He does a nice speed up Des Prez at the beginning, so he definitely does some, some good Bret Hart moments in the matches there usually are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you do make yourself watch this match, you know, it won't be horrible. I think you'll see some fine stuff. But, uh, yeah, this this closes the book on the original Hart Foundation. And uh, you were talking about having some disappointment with the British Bulldogs. But, man, we sit here at the end, and I look back, and, man, I challenge you to convince me that the Hart Foundation was a notable team in any way. Like, most of the time, they're out here having like matches which were just okay you know at best and sort of uninteresting so you know if anyone wants to take a last stab at convincing me about this tag team go ahead but god for as much as they are like put on a pedestal i don't see one damn reason for it yeah i mean i i think i feel like tag divisions are often about five or six teams deep and i'm not sure they were ever top three in any year that they were uh, involved in the division no i don't think so they're not they're not top three now i think you know so yeah I put power and glory far above them, to be I honest. <laughs> if you use them right and didn't do what you do tonight, like, we saw power and glory uh, a few shows back and what they were capable of doing. Absolutely, yeah. So show some respect to that name because it will not happen later on in this pay-per-view. Yeah. So, folks, we, we promised that there were also some amazing things on the show, and we did not lie to you. We don't lie to you. So um, we are going to switch it up to you and Jake Roberts is about to be on the show and we do get highlights to show him at the doctor and YouTube actually put that into my um, video watching a day or two ago, folks. So I recommend if you haven't ever seen it, 
find the videos of Jake Roberts at the doctor where they're taking off his um the 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 bandages and he he wants to know if he's gonna be able to see and just watch Jake Roberts work. Absolutely, there's five. Uh, really good matches on the show, I would say, that I'm looking forward to. The, the, the opener was the first one. This is number two. And uh, this is a divisive match, I guess, to some. And I was thinking you probably tell a lot about a wrestling fan based on what they think of this match. You know, uh, do they uh, do they enjoy the creativity or do they hate fun? You know, maybe because uh, <laughs> some people really dislike this match, I guess. And that is a that is a kind of fan that I can't understand. Um but uh, we do get the clips of the great buildup, Jake at the doctor, some of the stuff we've already talked about. Plus, uh, we get at least one clip of Jake kind of blindly coming out to the ring during one of Rick Martel's uh, jobber matches and trying to find him. And I love that bit. I'm glad we got to see it. Uh, the build to this alone was so good. It's one of the best builds, I think, that we've seen in either series and that we are going to see. So there's, there's just some very excellent stuff here, in my opinion. I have a couple of things to say. One of them even surprises me. I have a very, very big statement to make. But first, I'm just going to read you something. This is um, Jake Roberts speaking. He says, the blind leading the blind. Even a fool knows that a man only has five senses. A snake, he has six. We always do it better in the dark. That's the entire promo. I've never transcribed, I don't think, in the history of the Legacy series, word for word, an entire promo. But there you go. So Jake Roberts um, what I thought when I was going to watch this match from this event is that I would end up saying I really liked the matchup, you know, for a gimmick matchup. It was a really interesting match. The statement that I'm going to make going into this match is that I think that this is one of the greatest matches of all time. Mm. Not gimmick matches. This is one of the greatest matches of all time. I think you can absolutely make that argument. And I think tastes uh, are going to vary a lot. On this one, I think you could think this is the greatest thing ever. You could think uh, that this was really not for you. You could think almost anything in between. But I can absolutely see an argument of this match being uh, one of the top matches that you will see. Because there is no match that I know of, hardly, that is so creative, that uh, is so unique. And if it hits you just right, I think this could be uh, an incredible experience for you, as it was for myself and for the Mystic. Yeah, you have to take it with the story. You have to take it with the promos. You have to take it with Jake Roberts' work. But if you take it and story and character is part of the match quality, this is this is an astounding matchup. And we, before we even get into them locking up, you know, this is a blindfold match where they both wear like these these whole containers over their heads and. Just the fact that now Rick Martel has to experience the world that Jake Roberts has been experiencing for all this time because of him. That by itself has already got it a star or two in the Mystics little throw, throw stars that matches <laughs> rating. Uh, and if Mystic is throwing stars, that's something because that's not the language he normally uses. But uh, he had to reach up to the heavens to praise this match. So, yeah. man. Um, it's great because there's so many layers to this. Because also, who has the experience of being blind going into mm -hmm. this match? Who has spent months in the dark, uh, not even willingly, learning how to be this kind of person? And who has not experienced this hardship at all? Who has only inflicted this hardship on others? And now he has to 
deal with uh, the thing that he has done to somebody else. So, yeah, before the bell even rings, like, there is uh, layers and layers to this match. And, yeah, this is a match where if you watch it cold, you don't know anything about what happened. Uh, it's probably not going to be for you. But, man, like, there's no better way to watch wrestling, I think, than to watch um, the entirety of what you're going to see because you get experiences like this and you can't get them any other way than if you take the time, do the legwork, experience everything that led up to it, and then you can have a sublime experience like this match is. Yeah. I am not the kind of person who likes to ruin things. Like I, 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 I Sometimes I teach uh, fiction books and the only response that I get is like, well, this is why this doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, well, can you suspend that? And can we talk about, you know, but, you know, Girl Monsoon says, how important to have the crowd on your side in this. And that might be the first time in the history of professional wrestling where that's a true statement. Because other than the magic of the fans cheering and it giving one guy energy when couldn't that same cheering just be give energy to the other guy? But somehow it makes Hulk Hogan Hulk up. This is a night where the fans actually impact the match. And to be the babyface has actual practical benefits that in relationship to the fans. I mean, Hacksaw Jim Duggan's already let us know that the rest is garbage. But this time in this matchup, it matters. It's funny enough because, yeah, I don't know why Jim Duggan said that, but we've said many times the reason a guy like Duggan is consistently over, despite not being that entertaining in the ring, in our opinion, is that he does play to the crowd. He lets them engage. Uh, you know, that connection is really there. And that, you know, that's part of Hulk Hogan. That's part of almost any great wrestlers. They really understand how to do that. Yeah. And here you have a match that creates that connection with the crowd like no other match that I have seen. Because just as you say, like, they have to be part of this match. They um, are guiding Jake Roberts as he slowly moves his finger around the ring as he sweeps the area. They're going to tell him where Jake, Mar where uh, Rick Martel is by their cheers. And it's so creative and it's so dependent on the crowd. And they put it over so well, because all through this match on commentary, they're like, we can't even hear each other practically because the, the crowd is so loud. And, you know, I think it's probably a bit, but you know, they're also kind of right. Cause the crowd is so hot into this. It's great. I love to see it. Yeah, two more stars that they let me borrow to talk about this matchup come from the fact that this is a WrestleMania stage. If the fans decided that they didn't feel like helping Jake Roberts find Rick Martel, this matchup would fall through the floor as one of the most embarrassing experiences in the history of professional wrestling. Mm. So they are dependent on the crowd reaction in this matchup. But this is a testimony to the work of Jake Roberts. This is a WrestleMania match. And it's a blindfold gimmick match that easily could explode in their face. But just like The Undertaker with a casket match, this is a nod to the psychology of Jake Roberts. And I, I truly believe it is on the WrestleMania stage, as is with no concerns, because just like the casket match, for example, comes out of the lore of The Undertaker, and that lore is strong enough to make it happen. This is a match about psychology coming through Jake Roberts, so there is nothing to fear about how this match will go. No, absolutely. Um, it's, it's highly underrated. I think everyone uh, who hasn't seen it should give it a watch. Um, it, it is so deeply connected to Jake and to this story. And I'll just say it's amazing because, uh, you know, early on, um, both of us a bit, I think Mystic in particular, was sort of uh, a bit doubtful 
of Jake Roberts, uh, or at least just waiting for him to kind of step up and show what others have said about him. But man, he is really in his element here because he's going to be doing this. Um, and later on, he'll be burying the Ultimate Warrior up to his neck and he'll be uh, fighting Randy Savage and uh, doing all this stuff, which really is just like his career best work. So I think Jake Roberts is on an incredible high right now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just didn't enjoy this stuff on the level that people say. And I yeah. I said I thought I would, and I have, because he to me he's on that level now. But this is, this is a funny match. It's a smart match. It exposes the habits of wrestlers. Like, the beginning of it almost is the model doing the Irish whip after he finds Jake Roberts. And, like, like good luck, you know, getting him to come back. But, like, <laughs> that, that's exactly what you would do. It's exactly what you would do. Oh, yeah. It's so smart. And you, you said it. Rick Martell, man, I got to give him huge credit as well for this match because he is also incredible in this match. I love oh, just everything he does, basically. Yeah, like the moves that he attempts out of instinct that don't work. Uh, he is trying to point around, but he doesn't really know how to do it. He's doing it too fast. The crowd is not helping him. He is just kind of uh, lost. You know, the things that he tries crawling around, coming across that snake sack in the corner and then reacting in, in horror. Just Rick Martel also is just wonderful in this match. So that is another notch in his belt. And man, his belt has uh, even more notches than I thought it would, to be honest. Like he's been such an MVP of all the stuff he's been in. Yeah, I will 100% say this matchup doesn't happen without Jake Roberts because I think it's Jake Roberts induced. But Rick Martel plays the Rick Martel role as well as Jake Roberts plays his Jake Roberts role for the match. Absolutely. It is a true uh, combination of uh, efforts and wills and talent and just, uh, uh, this is so great. Like, there's so many great little things in this match. If you have a mind to appreciate this kind of match, you'll find so much stuff. I love Bobby Heenan (laughs) is trying to, like, call out hints to Rick Martel, but it's so loud that he can't even hear Gorilla Monsoon right next to him through a headset, so, like, <laughs> what is he doing? You know, he's just trying to help out his man, but uh, it's never going to work. Yeah. Oh, we're going through this note by note, because this is, to me, <laughs> it's one of the greatest things of all time, and another thing that happens is babyface privilege uh, exists even in the dark, because both men will decide to run off the ropes, and somehow Jake Roberts is able to turn his body and bounce off the ropes, and Rick Martel runs front of body into the rope and falls down. <laughs> hey, man, it's that sixth sense he was talking about. Mm. You know, he, he's got the better ring positioning. He's got the, the senses. And then again, you know, he's, he spent so months, so many months being blind, you know, yeah. and even trying to get in the ring. We saw him get in the ring with one eye. We saw him get in the ring with no eyes. Like, this is a guy, he's put in the work. He knows what he's doing in there as well as you possibly can. So I, I feel like it makes sense. You know, it holds up in the end. Yeah, and then back to the habitual slash funny. Rick Martel gets a power slam on Jake Roberts, which if you watch this match, that's a big, big deal. But then he waits and measures them and elbows the mat, and Jake's been gone for like you know half a minute or something. <laughs> and I was legit laughing out loud and just having a good time, but it's because it's so smart. A lot of times I think I hate like comedy and wrestling. No, I like anything done well in wrestling. I think is my answer to that. Yes, yes. Uh, there's certainly a good portion of comedy which does not click in wrestling, uh, and mileage will always vary. But yeah, no, this is a match I think is very high tier in that regard. Um, 
I mean, I'm praised Bobby Keenan again as well. It's our first, it's our first really long exposure to Keenan and Monsoon, I think, and they do a wonderful job all night. Uh, through all this, Bobby Keenan uh, saying, oh, well, Rick Martell, you know, uh, you shouldn't have to wrestle with the hood, you know. Just put him on the honor system. He won't peek. You know, he'll close his eyes. Uh, he's saying you, know, you should just take that hood off and see where he is. And Monsoon is like, oh, that's cheating. I mean, it says, so what? You have a guy with a 500-pound snake waiting mm. in the corner. So you cheat. You know, it's like Beautiful. your life could be on the line here. So a lot of good, good energy going into this match. I suggest if you're a heel wrestling Jake Roberts, you cheat first. <laughs> Even more so than against Hogan, because Jake, when he comes at you, it won't just be, you know, uh, he won't rake your eyes, you know, he won't scratch you with his fingernails, you know, he may throw a giant snake on you, or he may get his wife to do some kind of disturbing thing to you, so, yeah, maybe cheat first, that could be the way, the The only better advice than that is don't mess with Jake Roberts in the first place. Yeah, more great, great moments from the wrestlers and Bobby Heenan, there's a time that Rick Martell gets a hold of the referee thinking he's found Jake Roberts. But then as Bobby Heenan lets us know, he felt the shirt. So he understands Jake Roberts is not wearing a shirt. So obviously he has found the referee and not Jake Roberts by itself. That's an amazing piece of psychology to continue this amazing match. But then Bobby Heenan, the manager, comes out of Bobby Heenan, the announcer, and says, Rick Martell should have brought his shirt and put it on after the match started. So Jake Roberts would think that he was the referee. You're seeing maximum engagement from Bobby Keenan here, and uh, he's just full of of ideas and uh, tricks and ways to get around this. And, you know, he's he's probably well made for a match like this that, uh, you know, in his mind at least, could have a lot of loopholes in it. So he, he is thinking with all of his uh, mighty brain that he is known for. Yeah. Uh, we got more habitual. This time it's the fans. They start chanting DDT, even though Jake Roberts can't get close to him or can't even find him. But, you know, the habit is the habit. So let's chant DDT. And then Jake puts on a side headlock out of nowhere. And it just amazes me how close grabbing somebody for a side headlock is to grabbing them for a DDT. But the effect is so much different. <laughs> Indeed, yes. The uh, the drop and the landing is what matters with the DDT, I suppose. But uh, what I love about this is any time that Jake gets a hold of Martell, I feel like he just clamps onto him, and he is not doing things like doing Irish whips and stuff. Like, he will hold on to Martell for all he's worth once he's got him. Like, he doesn't want to lose that contact because he knows it's going to be hard to reestablish it. So it's another great piece of psychology in this uh, really engaging uh, collage we have here. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, Jake is in control anytime. He's got the guidance of the fans, and he's got his own intelligence. Martel's very much the heel. He gets a chair outside the ring, uses against the steel post, and thinks he's found Jake Roberts, and that's not Jake Roberts. And it's so. such a great moment, because when that chair hits the post, Jake hears it, and mm. he uses that sound to find Martel and get his hands on him. So that's uh, that's great stuff. That's a great piece of psychology there, I think. Yeah, and again, who has been used to having to do that yeah. for all these weeks or months is Jake Roberts. Yeah, absolutely so. Absolutely so. I think this one does come down to the DDT at the end. Yep, yep. Uh, Jake, uh, he gets hit with a backbreaker, a Boston Crab. He's almost out. He gets the ropes. He escapes. He finds Martell again, and he does slap that DDT on. 
And then uh, one last great moment where he has to find Rick Martel to make the pinfall, and you get some extra tension there. He does find him. He gets the three. It's a very fun match. Uh, afterwards, he breaks the perfume sprayer, and he throws Damien on the model, so a final nice piece of revenge as well. Yeah, I like when he got the, the, the perfume. The match actually lost a star and a half when he used the snake. I didn't want to see that one in this one, so I just did <laughs> Took away a star and a half, Miz fan. <laughs> I see, I see. Well, uh, when you've been blinded and you've got a big snake to throw on a guy, I guess uh, you're going to do it regardless yeah. of stars. So here we are. If he, if the snake had a blindfold on when he brought him out of the bag, I would have given him back a star out of the star and a half. <laughs> Good to know. Fair enough. It's a very complicated system, you understand. <laughs> Hey, it makes as much sense as any other star rating I ever heard of, so I'm with you. In a heartbreaking turn of events, we go to the back and we have a, a I think the, the 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 next heel tag team tag team champion celebration, the next one we've seen since WWS Brainbusters. Yeah, this one is a sad parody of that. Um, because uh, you called it heartbreaking. We go backstage and Jimmy Hart is stable of the Nasty mm. Boys, Earthquake. Dino Bravi, Bravo, the Mountie. Like, this is a huge stable, apparently, that I didn't even think about because I don't really rate any of these guys except the Mountie. But they're all here, and they're all celebrating. So make of that what you will. I didn't realize they were with Jimmy Hart until you said that. <laughs> I thought they were just random heels to, to compliment because I don't care. Right. Again, this is going to be – if there are things you disagree, I'm always okay with that. But I'm even more okay because – this is the first show that I've marked several things with, like, don't really know if it's good or bad. I can see some possibility that parts that are good, but I, I don't care. Because part of, that's part of the job is to make me care coming in. So if you don't, then I'm sorry. Like, that's just how it works here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's entirely fair. I think, you know, you're, you're watching as a fan. You're under no obligation uh, to like or dislike anything. So it's going to be what it is at the end of the day. Even after Hogan dominated, because I, I hit the arrow a lot in the main event, which also was different, but after Hogan dominated Slaughter for like an hour and a half, all <laughs> lo and behold, Hulk Hogan's bleeding, and Sergeant Slaughter is like he's in good shape, and I'm like, huh? But you know what? The, you know what the response was? What? Don't care. Yep. <laughs> How could you? It's the again, it's the uh, strangeness of this card. We have many feuds, many stories, which are so engaging, and yet. This main event um, is so flat and it's so hard to care about. So yeah, it's not uh, it's not really working out on top for whatever reason. Absolutely, we're gonna leave the nasty boys and we're gonna go to a piece of business that nobody could have understood uh, the the merit of at the time. But we got Jimmy Snuka going one on one with the Undertaker, who is making his WrestleMania debut and guess what is the legacy series debut of paul bearer yes paul bearer is here undertaker is here it is the start of the streak and uh we're gonna have to keep track how many times undertaker was lucky uh to keep the streak in these early days because i believe i read at least that undertaker was first penciled in to wrestle tugboat at this wrestlemania mm. and i don't know if he would have survived that so we can be grateful for that Next year, I think uh, he will be penciled in against Ultimate Warrior, and I think he certainly would have lost that one. He will escape that fate as well. So uh, for the sake of the streak, we can be glad that uh, plans changed a few times in these early days. 
I don't know what WWF does a lot of its lousy years without a WrestleMania streak. So, and I, oh my gosh, he can't tombstone Tugboat. So I think what would happen is Tugboat would win by either count out or disqualification. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, that would have be been it. it right there. My God. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then, yeah, Warrior, we know what Warrior would have done to him. <laughs> he is alive, actually. He can feel pain. It's this Warrior who's not alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the freaking warrior. Jesus. He gets um, the right opponent for WrestleMania 7 because there is no chance that he's losing this match. <laughs> yes, no, thank God Undertaker uh, is able to steamroll Jimmy Snuka in fairly short order. Uh, all my notes mostly are about Paul Bearer, who is here wonderfully. Uh, he's got the urn. He's got uh, a lot of his weird mannerisms already. Um, you will appreciate this as a as a, uh, a religious man or a former religious man. Do you recall the somewhat obscure story of, uh, oh, God, Moses or somebody, like the Israelites are fighting a battle and you have to, like, raise up your arms so that they will succeed. And, like, when your arms fall down, like, they'll start losing. Paul yeah. Bear has got that with the urn right here. Like, he's got that vibe. When he's lifting it up, Undertaker is strong. When he's, like, holding it down, Undertaker's in trouble. So I got a nice biblical vibe right there. That is a beautiful, beautiful story. And I do think, I don't know if it's Bobby Heenan, someone references a gorilla that when he's holding it up, he's strong and down. I think when, it's, when he's holding it by his heart. Mm. Yeah. This is, a, who, again, this is the stuff I'm talking about. Between that last match and this match, the tiny, tiny details. Yeah. Like, who is coming up with this stuff? Oh, man, that's a great story. Yeah. And it's also, again, managers. Like, managers being they're not just out there because they were booked with somebody like they have just as much involvement in the matchup moment to moment as the wrestler in the ring. Yeah. Yeah. We are getting a, a gem of a manager in Paul Bearer, and I couldn't be more happy to see him. It's great. There'll be a lot of talk about him. There'll be a lot of talk about the urn. They'll spend a lot of time wondering in the early days who's inside that urn. Mm -hmm. I think Regis will even ask him later. I don't know if we ever got the answer to that, but uh, there will be a lot of lore around that urn. Uh, one of our listeners, I think uh, Amy Stewart on Twitter, I think, already pitched the urn for the uh, the item, the prop of the next five years. So we're going to be keeping a close eye on that item as we go along. Did you say Amy? I did, yes. Every single time that you bring something to the show that she says, it's like the most on point thing that could ever be said. <laughs> She's great. Very insightful. We are super glad to have her along. I wouldn't even have considered the urn because even when I said that a week ago, and even on this show, sometimes it feels like a world the Undertaker's not part of. Mm. But it's so long ago, but the urn is as big a character as Undertaker or Paul Bearer in the coming years. Oh, yeah. This urn and this man holding it with his twisted face. Like, I forgot twisted face Paul Bearer with like half his face sitting over on his shoulder. Like, I don't know how you do that. I don't know who told you to do that. I don't know who told them to do anything that they did or if they came up with it. But, like, when I, it's so weird because when Undertaker came out with Brother Love, I was like, this character did well. And I'm a little bit surprised because it's new and it's different. When Undertaker came out with Paul Bearer, I thought they had signed somebody, a group or a duo, who had been together for 10 years. Mm. Yeah, the chemistry between them is really amazing, and uh, we're going to see so much of them together, and I'm very glad for that. And just 
Paul Bear, man, he captivated me since the first time I saw him, which was at WrestleMania 20 of all times, you know, of all mm. places. So uh, a weird uh, connection for me there. But, man, just everything about this guy, the presentation of him, he's this, like, really big guy. You know, he's like he's a fat guy. He is. But he's got this, like, squeaky Mickey Mouse voice, mm-hmm. which is weird. And then he's got the pale skin. And he's got this black, like, jet black, like, Hitler haircut and, like, a little mustache. And just, just the look of him, the presentation of him, the way he acts. He's like a, a, an alien or a demon took, like, kind of a lazy guess at what a human being might be like and threw him up on Earth. And that that is Paul Bearer to me. Like, just the strangeness of him is so compelling to me. It is one of the best things that uh, WWF ever did. I think they wanted to bring him in. They were going to bring him in. Then things changed. But Vince McMahon, to his credit, a lot of the worst gimmicks in the history of wrestling are also why this worked. Because he always likes to ask wrestlers, like, what is something you're interested in or you do outside of wrestling? And that's how we get a lot of these gimmicks that we're going to wish we never had. But Paul Bearer, you know, worked at a funeral home. And so they brought him in. And my goodness, lo and behold, uh, this is a true story. You could check my notes. Gorilla Monsoon and I don't always see eye to eye. So <laughs> I was writing the words. Paul Bearer is straight inspiration. And after I wrote Paul Bearer and I was writing, Gorilla Monsoon started to say in real time over me, Paul Bearer is a very sick person. <laughs> <laughs> So we must have saw the same image, but we we came out with different responses. <laughs> uh, you know, I can so understand how Paul Bear might produce both of those responses from the same action. So mm. I, I believe uh, neither of you was wrong there. I think you both have uh, some good points to make. Yeah. Undertaker also hits a hang time flying clothesline that gets the whole crowd cheering him. Oh, I love that. Yeah, nice that he's here against the washed-up Jimmy Snooker that nobody cares about. So he gets to kind of just show off. Like you said, he had the right opponent to go over here. Jimmy Snooker, not really much better than a jobber. That's probably about all he's good for at this point. Yeah. See, a lot of folks are going to talk to us about, and, and rightly so, when when Paul Bear is going to, def- or excuse me, when Undertaker is going to defeat Hulk Hogan for the world title in 1991, Hulk Hogan is going to go into the back saying that. The Undertaker dropped him on his head wrong and pretty much trying to destroy him. And they're going to think, well, he beat him and he got a decent response. And that's why Hulk Hogan did it. That's not why Hulk Hogan did it, folks. Hulk Hogan was watching WrestleMania and saw him do the hanging clothesline defense cheer. And he already made that note, in my opinion. <laughs> it's possible, yeah. That's such a strange story of, like, what a weak and lazy attempt to uh, undercut a guy by Hulk Hogan. So it will be totally unsuccessful. So uh, we will we will definitely see that as we move forward. It is, Hulk Hogan is stale. Hulk Hogan Hulk Hogan is the worst of everything now. And yep. you know you got to look in the mirror when the Undertaker is cheered and you try to get him in trouble. Also, you can get away from him and go to the Royal Rumble and turn Sid into the biggest babyface in the company. You got to start thinking <laughs> it might not be them. Oh man, shades of. Uh... Uh, allegedly, Triple H and Shawn Michaels trying to undercut The Rock with Vince McMahon when he was a young man. So sometimes you cannot stop um, the progress of, of stardom with your uh, backstage politics. So learn that lesson well, please. Yeah, there are some politics that will not work because Vince McMahon is not stupid and I, nobody is going to undermine The Rock yep. because 
obviously you could see where he was coming. Hogan will kind of win his because Undertaker will have his moment and Sid will. Sid leaves the company, I think, for two reasons. First, he cannot stand, like, he's just shocked at Hulk Hogan's behavior in the back. Like, he cannot understand. Like, I don't think he's ever seen anything like it. But I don't think that even makes him leave. I think what makes him leave the company is the suggestion that he has to work with the Ultimate Warrior. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, that is as good a reason as any to leave a company, and that weirdly makes me respect Sid more if that is, in fact, the case. So I will have to check my notes on that, but I think that might be the thing. Well, I don't blame him because somebody would have gotten hurt in that match. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Talk about uh, – that's worse than the blind leading the blind. That's that's the blind leading the blind into a, a garbage disposal or something. <laughs> so, Jesus. Can you imagine? You know Warrior would have tried to press slam him and just the disaster mm. that would have occurred nah. there. So now, Especially that 1992 Warrior is the one that people thought was a fake Warrior. That guy is not even slamming Undertaker, I don't think. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Oh, we got some <laughs> stuff to come. <laughs> yes. This though is this is about as wonderful as it can be. It's a good outing for Paul Bear, good outing for the Undertaker. We're gonna get the tombstone. They try to do a catch and then turn the tombstone. They can't quite do it, so Undertaker makes a good decision to sit him down, punch him one time, and then put him in the tombstone pile driver. Yeah, probably underestimating what uh, Jimmy Snooker could do at that point, but yeah, um, yeah uh, it's you know it's not much of a match, but it's fine. It's nothing wrong with it, and there are a few good moments indeed, and uh, certainly it is historical. So, yeah, nothing nothing wrong with what we've got here. Yeah. I also noted that they, the fans are behind him because the dead man is fresher than half of the alive talent on the roster right now. <laughs> well said. Well said. He has a delightful aroma compared to some of these uh, stale and rotting gimmicks they're going to have to deal with. Absolutely. Kind of blew my mind. I forgot how wrestling used to work. And we'll see this a lot in this era that the, the, the one half of the double main event is going to be sitting in the middle of the card. <laughs> but my goodness, we are at the retirement match, and Bobby Heenan spots Liz in the crowd. And again, I, there's going to be several times on this show where we are going to be blessed, kind of with this whole, hey guys, remember 1987? Remember 1988? <laughs> so it's a lot to come at you, man. This is uh, from a guy named Vince McMahon who will later tell us that history doesn't matter because fans don't care about history. Tell that to the matchup that we're about to cover right now. Oh, yeah. So another match that doesn't work if you don't have the history of both guys. Like, completely understood the importance that they've had to the company, Randy Savage in particular. So th this is a match where, especially in the post-match, if you don't know your history, it wouldn't have meant so much. But, man, we will literally see many fans crying mm. at uh, what happens after this match. So don't tell me that wrestler... Wrestling fans don't remember things because it just isn't true. Yeah. And every it's another night where everything's on point. Number one, God bless whoever did not give us an Ultimate Warrior promo. So <laughs> just none. Then Randy Savage is wearing an attire that says it's somehow not only elegant, but it's baby face-ish. And it also feels like it's almost – it feels like it could be if you lose – you go out in celebration. If you win, it's a celebration. It's it's kind of, I don't know, everything's just kind of right about it, in my opinion. And then I will say this, and then Ultimate Warrior walking to the ring is 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 about as unsettling 
in the context of the matches you can get. Yeah, uh, everything about this match is going to be on point, and uh, it's going to be um, nothing short of miraculous, I think, because up to this point, like, if I were watching up in real time, I'd be like, oh, great, Ultimate Warrior is just going to, like, ruin another match with Randy Savage. You know, nothing mm-hmm. he has done so far makes you think that he's capable of participating in a match like this and how great it is going to be. So it is really nothing short of miraculous, I think, that we get what we get, and yet, you know, I'll even give a little credit to Ultimate Warrior, he really did seem to understand for once in his life that this match is different than other matches, because he does walk to the ring, as you said, he does treat it differently, we'll see things here from the Warrior that uh, we'll never see before or after, I think, so there's something going on here that makes this night extra special. It, man, it is, because Warrior walks to the ring, and then the fans start chanting Warrior, and it's like it, the reaction on Savage's face almost looks like a bucket of cold water is thrown on him because we're talking about a Randy Savage who has been running and running and running, running through the years, running through the arenas, running through the matches. You know, a Randy Savage that had a relationship with Elizabeth who took on George Steele, um, a Randy Savage who became a babyface world champion, but then also was turned heel. In the process, lost Elizabeth, lost the relationship with Hulk Hogan, joined Sherry, became the king. And I think the king and queen covered a lot of things that he didn't want to think about. But there's something in that moment with Warrior walking through the ring, the fans chanting uh, Warrior and Savage just looking around like he almost just woke up and found himself in a retirement match where everybody and everything was against him and didn't halfway know how he got there. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot going into this. Uh, we do get to see how we got here. We see a clip of uh, Savage attacking Warrior on that Saturday night's main event that we skipped. Uh, we see the, the stuff from the Rumble, including the uh, begging and Savage exploding out of the darkness to take out Warrior. Uh, also, before the match, Heenan says, wait, who's that? Who do I see in the crowd? Can we get a close-up director of this person? And we do see Miss Elizabeth sitting in the crowd, ready to watch the match. And, uh, well, I'll just say, it's not like she's been afraid to show up to uh, all of Savage's other matches. Mm. Uh, so it's not shocking that she would be here. But uh, she does look worried. Heenan says, uh, well, she's just here to rub it in if Savage loses. Will that be true? I think we know that it won't be. But uh, these are the questions we are asking before the matchup begins. Yeah, oddly, knowing her involvement I think it's the first time I've watched so much. It almost made me feel like she could be at ringside just to see if Savage loses. Like she may honestly not have that physical involvement. So yeah. in a way it almost made it better for me because it didn't telegraph in a way that in my mind it has before. Um, sure, yeah. This is also WrestleMania five, WrestleMania six main events. When you don't have many world champions in your company and two of them are wrestling each other with careers on the line, yeah. like they, they wait this match and this story in every way that they can. Yeah, they really do. Absolutely. Uh, to your point about Elizabeth, I feel like if you just watch this match cold, and I feel like probably almost everyone has watched this match at least once, uh, regardless if you've seen the buildup or not, you could easily think that Miss Elizabeth disappeared after WrestleMania five and was never seen again until this moment. Cause that's sort of like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's sort of the narrative, but yeah, it's a different story 
when you see she keeps showing up with Dusty Rhodes. She will cost Randy Savage matches. You know, she will take on Sherry at times. She will do a lot of different things that uh, really do cast some doubt on uh, her involvement here, what she's going to do here. So there, there's definitely an element of weight to that that you might not expect. Um, speaking of the element of weight, is there a more beautiful sight in the world than Sherry and Savage coming down on those thrones one last time? And just as you said, the gear they have on, it's silver, it's white, its uh, it looks amazing. They both look incredible. I got to have a special shout-out once again to the look of Sensational Sherry. She'll be wearing a dress that seems to be just made out of strands of diamonds or something because she looks just absolutely sensational here, as the name implies. What an image, what a look. These two together, we're never going to see it again, but man, they have just been one of the best pairings that we have ever covered in any edition of the Legacy series. Yeah, and they're up high mm. on, on on their seat. And I think, in reality, the desperation is already there on both. And I feel like it's two individual desperations. I don't feel like they've been talking to each other. I feel like Savage is in his own world. Sherry is in her own world. And even from the beginning, Ultimate Warrior is going to do one of those long atomic drops where you keep him on the shoulder. And Sherry yells, no, the entire time. And it's just an atomic drop at the start of the match. What is going on? But I think separately, while together, both of these uh, great stars maybe have made their peace with the fact that this might not go the way they want it to go. We've talked a lot about uh, Randy Savage and the element of fire. We've talked uh, at times about a, a phrase called burnout. I'm going to throw out a different one. How about flame out? Uh, mm. that, that is a different connotation, I think. When you have a guy like Randy Savage, and I think we're really going to see this after the match, but even coming into the match, when you've been burning for so long, eventually you're going to crash and burn, and you may even want to crash and burn at some point just to get out of the state that you're in, get out of the circle, the cycle that you're in. I think anybody who's been under stress for a while has felt some urge to, to act out in a way that makes no logical sense, and yet it will break the pattern that you are in. And I, I feel like we're seeing that here. Randy Savage is putting it on the line, and I think he's happy to because he knows that either he is going to have uh, an incredible victory that nobody will be able to doubt or undercut, not even Hulk Hogan or anybody else or Elizabeth, or, or it's all going to come crashing down, and he is finally going to be able to, to, to change his ways, to, to accept a different style of life that he's been living up to this point. So there, there's, there's some incredible uh, energy, I think, coming into this match from Randy Savage's side. I agree with you a million percent. There was a window of time where vulnerability might have been necessary after WrestleMania five, and he doubled down and went the other way. And in some ways, respect to him because we got one of the greatest uh, pairings that we have seen, but that puts him two years over the line of grieving or being vulnerable or being honest or acknowledging uh, the world around him and how he actually feels in it. Two years is a long time to be over that line. Uh, I think ever since his problems with Hulk Hogan first developed, maybe mm. even before that, because we talked about at WrestleMania 4, he seemed to have such pressure on him. He seemed to be different than he was before. So maybe for as much as three full years now, this man has been clenched 
as tight as a fist. Mm. And man, if you clench your fist and you hold that for a minute or two, you will start to feel the pain of that. You will not want to keep that fist clenched anymore. Now do it for three years and maybe you'll understand how Randy Savage got to this point where he was willing to put his career on the line to either be finally put over the top or to finally uh, put an end to it all. Yeah, man. Mm, absolutely. This is an advantage that the warrior has because we got a more sober warrior, but there's no way that the warrior understands this moment and feels it in the way. Not yet, at least. He's going to have his own moments later in the match. Mm. But Savage has got a longer career. Savage has got a career that I just feel like he, we talk about Savage is always talking about you. You tried to embarrass me. You tried to make me look like a fool. You tried to bring shame on me. And Savage has got all these touch points of shame, and he's trying to overcome them all the time. And Hulk Hogan's path right now, I've got to mention Hulk Hogan at least once. His path is leading him to Sergeant Slaughter to be the American hero, where Randy Savage's path is once again leading him to a place where he could potentially be made to be a fool. And it just seems like it never ends based off what you just said off that three-year history we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, Warrior doesn't process things like a human anyway. But, yeah, I mean, just looking at it like a human might um, – you know, this is a guy who's barely into his 30s. He's, he's barely uh, a couple a year or two into this huge push. Seems like he's on top of the world. We know it's not going to last, but, yeah, he's got all these things going for him. And Randy Savage, you know, we talked about he, he's not really old. He doesn't come off old. He doesn't feel old. He doesn't need to retire. But, you know, this guy, he's 39 at mm. this time, and he goes hard. We know he goes hard. So he almost 10 years of difference between them, huge difference in their career. You can really feel, I think, the difference between them. And it's more than just, you know, Randy Savage is good, Ultimate Warrior is bad. Uh, on this night, it's a different feeling. You know, you have to look at it through a different lens, I think. Oh, you, you absolutely do. And thankfully, they understand that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I want to note three amazing Bobby Heenan moments. Yes. Because, number one, he agrees with the Legacy Series for what we've said all these years. He says, when Savage won that tournament... To become WWF champion, he wasn't as intense as he was at this moment. Yeah. So yeah. even Bobby Heenan knows that there are better days than what should have been that best day, but that's just a thing in the past. Go back and listen to the videos. Or Then we got this, and Bobby Heenan says, I've never seen anything like this. I've followed this man his whole career. I've never seen anything like it. And that, that narrative, I said, Bobby Heenan is calling this matchup like it's the WCW versus the NWO. So it lets you know the level of investment that is in this story. And then a little while after that, he starts talking about that was a three count. I can't even talk anymore. Everything's on the line. There is no better Bobby Heenan. I don't care. There's so many. Oh, the, 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 the weasel, the manager, but none of them are any better than the Bobby Heenan who tells the story of everything that's on the line, losing his voice, desperation, Royal Rumble 92, WCW NWO, and he's doing it right here. And the minute he started telling stories of knowing him his whole life and that tone in his voice, I was like, Bobby Heenan's going to go there, and Bobby Heenan goes there. Mm, indeed. I think uh, you said it best a while ago on another episode. Uh, the only way to determine if Bobby Heenan or Jesse Ventura is better on commentary is just which one did you listen to most recently because mm -hmm. they're that close. You know, they'll they'll amaze you each time. And Bobby Heenan is in rare form on this night. It, man, he is. And it, you got to be because either this matters at the level that it matters 
or none of it matters because this is ultimately everything. It is you got three kind of big world champions and two of them have decided to put their careers on the line. Yeah. There's a lot of trouble. And Randy Savage is a troubled man, and he is in the center of this where you you obviously know Randy Savage could possibly win the match, but you know that he's fighting from underneath. Like Warrior has to be the favorite. I think Savage knows it. I think Warrior knows it, and I think Sherry knows it. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone, everyone, including Hina and Monsoon, and including probably all the fans of the arena too, really felt and understood this match in a deep way. And it stands the test of time because I think you can feel it even now. Uh, God, 30 years later, you know, this match still holds so much importance. Everyone involved in this match has passed away, which is very sad in and of itself. But, man, like, talk about a piece of immortality because this really does stand the test of time, I think. Yeah. Man, um, Bobby Heenan says, uh, get the Undertaker ready. And we got another customer for you. <laughs> and that's about Warrior. Like, Savage... He's going to hit this man with five elbows off the top rope. Mm. He's going to break down Warrior like nobody else uh, ever broke down Warrior before or after, I think. And uh, it's really something. You know, I, I don't really – I don't listen to these shoots. I don't know kind of the backstory sometimes or behind the scenes. But, man, I did find myself wondering, did Randy Savage make the Ultimate Warrior learn like 167 moves like he did with Ricky Steamboat? Because mm. Warrior – probably needed it a lot more than steamboat did i think they probably did uh map this match out pretty closely and i think that probably is a lot of the reason why it came off as well as it did it has to be because there were a few moments not many where warriors you know in charge i'm like oh my god it's still the ultimate warrior but <laughs> savage puts him in savage controls this thing yeah. and puts him where he needs to be and even man that does five elbows and a kick out and then I forgot, like, I know what's going to happen, so he hasn't done the thing with the hand thing. He does the, the press and the drop and the splash, and I thought the match was over in 2021, and it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. No, there's there's stuff even from the Warrior here. Um, you know, that's a great moment. He's going to have the moment where he talks to his hands. We'll talk about that in a minute. But even even earlier on, like, Savage will try a crossbody. Warrior will catch him clean in the air, and you think, oh, he's going to slam him or something. But he sets him on his feet and he slaps him, and then he, yeah. like, backs away. And, like, with your career on the line to do that, for, like, one night only, I kind of get the Ultimate Warrior and things that would have been insufferable on another night. Just something about it. Like, you can sort of feel that energy, kind of that John Wayne badass feeling. On one night only, I really felt like it worked from Warrior, so that, you know, I'll give him a little bit of credit as well here. Yeah, and it makes sense because... I think Warriors got to have disdain for these people because they took his world title away from him against a man who in no world and no situation other than that would have beat the ultimate warrior. So, you know, it's a different kind of personal. Like, I don't think the warrior has a storied career yet, you know, to feel like Savage's feeling. He, his feeling is I beat Hulk Hogan for the world title. I am the guy and you took that away from me against Sergeant Slaughter because I turned down your match. And I think that slap just embodies kind of what he feels towards that right now. Yeah, ultimate confidence through a lot of this match. And, and when that confidence is actually shaken, that's part of what makes this match, you know, as good and as compelling mm. as it is. Um, so there, there's a lot to that for sure. Um Ultimate Warrior, you know, if he loses this match, he's probably just going to discorporate back to his own dimension and do whatever <laughs> Ultimate Warrior does. But still, 
you know, you feel that on the line. Everyone feels that on the line. Like, you, you mentioned Sherry a few times, and man, she deserves huge credit here as well, because she will attack the warrior at times. She will jump off the top rope, trying to hit warriors. She'll hit Savage by mistake. She will be very involved in this match, very physical, very... Uh, very Sherry, you know, yeah, this is Sherry to a T right here. She, she will be doing a wonderful job one last time at the side of Randy Savage. Yeah, it's very Sherry, and I agree with that. But I also think you said it, Warriors confidence, there is a lack of confidence. I feel like Savage is not confident and Sherry's not confident. Neither of them want to talk about that lack of confidence. So they're both overcompensating, and they are going to be a damage to themselves as much as Warriors going to be a damage to them. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Savage and Sherry, uh, in this era in particular, I think uh, we're probably not good about uh, expressing their feelings in a healthy way. So, yes, they have a lot bottled up, a lot that they probably have not discussed about this match. And I think you can feel kind of a desperation from them or certainly like kind of a manic energy where they are yeah. trying to clutch and clench and scratch and claw and do anything they possibly can to come out on top here. And yet they do it in sort of like a self-immolating way that will uh, ultimately not pan out for them. Yeah. But all of that too brings us to the point where Savage kicks out of the Warriors finisher. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the ultimate warrior is looking at his hands and receiving nothing. And it happens. So it's just like the ultimate warrior that that quickly someone kicked out of your finisher and now you're not like ye of little faith. Uh, like he's done. Like he's not feeling it. And for that moment in time, everything that was on Savage and Sherry shifts to the Ultimate Warrior, and it's all on him at that moment. Yeah, he'll be talking to his hands. He will be uh, talking to his gods. He will be having some sort of internal warrior crisis that I think humans can't fully understand. But we will see the parts of it. And it's amazing because yeah, he will have already kicked out of five elbow drops, which I think. I feel like that moment is a barrier to some in this match, and I understand that because, like, five finishers is a lot for anyone to kick out of. But you know what? It gets a great reaction from the crowd, from Savage. They sell it well. They turn it around. Warrior's here. He's been kicked out of as well. He's talking to his hands, and uh, it's uh, it's something, you know. There's some deep feeling about this match that I have that a lot of people have. It's something special going on here, I think. Yeah, there are several things that would bother me in a normal match that do not bother me here because yeah. I think every reserve you have left in your life you're bringing to this match. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, and that's just how it is. And the great question in the history of the world is Ultimate Warrior decided that he's walking away from ringside because he's not feeling it. He's taking this as I think the God's telling him, you're not supposed to win this match. This thing is over. I'm done with you. And Randy Savage attacks the ultimate warrior. And I, I got two things to say about that. Number one is if Randy Savage never attacked the ultimate warrior, does the ultimate warrior walk out and lose the matchup? And so Savage cost himself. And yet the best thing that could ever happen to Randy Savage is that he attacked the ultimate warrior and caused the warrior to come back so that Randy Savage will lose the match. That is just a brain challenge right there, Miss Fan. <laughs> As we're going to talk about in a minute here, I think Randy Savage will lose uh, this match but save his soul. And I don't know if Randy Savage knew that when he went on the attack or if he was just not willing to accept any half measure. I think some of this that we have only touched on briefly – 
so much of what Randy Savage accomplished has been doubted, has been demeaned, has been undermined. His world title was basically like, well, you only had that because Hogan didn't get mm. a shot for a year. Uh, you know, that was dismissed. Uh, his night, his big WrestleMania didn't come off as big as you would hope that it would come off. Uh, he's had all these opportunities later. Uh, he's, he's had trouble with Dusty Rhodes. He's had trouble with Hulk Hogan many times over and come out on the short end every time. If you had the biggest match of your life and you win it by count out, I think Savage knew he would be stuck in this purgatory even longer. And I think he was just not willing to accept that. He was going to be all or nothing on this night. No more half wins, you know, no more opportunities for people to doubt you. Um, so yeah, you, you just get a lot going into that moment and it has tremendous weight to it. And I think you could look at it from any number of ways. Oh yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I think the five elbows didn't work. You know, Savage is a determined man. So if you're going to get it when the man is not feeling the power that makes him who he is and his back is turned, you get it while you can get it. And that's why they go for it. They go for a top rope. Uh, Sherry hold him on the steel. But Warrior's going to get away. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, folks, Crush is just going to lift this man off the ground a little bit, and he's going to be lacerated by it. So what do you think is going to happen when he jumps off the top rope and hits nothing but that steel with his face? Ooh, a mouthful of metal guard railing. Yeah, that really puts Savage out. Warrior will bring Savage back in. He will knock him around. He will hit shoulder blocks so hard that Savage mm -hmm. will go flying out of the ring. He will bring him back in. He will finally hit that finish. And he will get the pinfall with just one foot on Randy Savage, which was just a little much for me, I have to admit. Even in this match, that was a little much for me. But you do get Randy Savage pinned, end of his career, for now at least, and uh, a really epic end to a very epic match, and we are not done yet. Those shoulder blocks knocking him out of the ring, there's something to all of this, and I get it 100% with the foot, but for some reason I didn't feel it because it, it felt like to me that Savage was done, done. And I don't know. Between them trying to make him old and then him giving everything he gave, like that feels like a man that if Sherry hadn't attacked him, they would have had to come with some kind of shovel and just like scrape what's left of him in pieces, throw it into a seat and just move it out. Like I think Savage was done. And this is, again, why I, I want to honor what it takes for Randy Savage to have to slow down and assess. Like, everything has to be lost. The career has to be lost. The strength in the body has to be lost. The ability to move has to be lost. Everything is gone. Everything is done. Uh, Sherry's not going to come right into the ring. Warrior's going to uh, celebrate, go out of the ring, put his coat on, come back and celebrate because there's nobody left in the ring. That's not Randy Savage on the mat. That is scrapes and pieces of things that have come and gone, at least seemingly. Hmm. At least seemingly. You know, it's an interesting idea. I'll ask you a question. If Sherry hadn't attacked, Randy Savage, if he hadn't had that moment of redemption with Liz that we're going to talk about in a minute, if that had not happened, if Warrior just celebrated, left, Sherry left, would we have ever even seen Randy Savage again, you know, just from the feeling you have at the end of that match? I honestly think, number one, the match wouldn't be what it was because it comes with this ending. And number two, 
It feels like put him in the booth time for Randy Savage. Man, it feels like put him in the grave time to me. Like, I don't think he could have even made it to the booth. Yeah. If he had and been left. Might be synonymous. <laughs> yeah, like this. <laughs> sure. But, uh, yeah, no, at the end of this match when he's laying there, and, uh, yeah, I think if he doesn't get his moment of redemption here, like, you said it, he's done done, and I think not just in this match, like, mm. he would just disappear from the face of the earth, it feels like, practically, because this, this is rock bottom, and I don't mean the finishing move, I mean uh, that moment where really, yeah, you've lost everything in your life, so uh, it's, it's, it's a powerful moment, I think, even before we get to what happens next. It is, man, I'm thinking too, Savage grows that great big beard towards the end of his life, and I think he just kind of lives, like, with his uh, wife and very isolated and people barely see him mm. i could see him just disappearing like you're saying just going off and being you know hey you guys remember randy savage oh we don't we don't talk about that he's, yeah. he's, he's not here anymore he's somewhere else <laughs> oh my uh fortunately that is not to be just yet after the match after warriors gone sherry enters and man the wrath of sherry is something i never would want to see directed at me she starts kicking the crap out of Randy Savage. I think she would have she would have put him in that grave for real in a minute. Uh, we see Liz. She looks worried. She kind of always looks worried, but maybe especially worried here. Uh, she jumps that railing. She throws Sherry off, and we get that incredible moment between Savage and Liz. And man, this is just played out so perfectly. I really can't praise this enough. Definitely one of the greatest WrestleMania story moments that you're gonna see. Yeah. I don't know how this moment, this moment is not only powerful, I think it's as good technically as any great matchup at WrestleMania. Mm. You know, the pace, the way they do it. Bobby Heenan, this is not supposed to happen. This is why WCW versus NWO beat WWF for 83 weeks. Bobby Heenan says to Sherry, Sherry, he did his best. Mm. Mm. He is rebuking Sherry at that moment. A heel manager to a heel manager. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. That's a rare thing. That's a rare feeling right there. That yeah, the extremities that Savage has gone to have even moved a guy like Bobby Heenan to uh, to defend him against uh, someone like Sherry, which is definitely not something he would do in a normal situation. Uh, it's really incredible stuff. You gotta watch it, folks. Like Ms. Fan says, Liz jumps that guardrail. And she comes in and she grabs Sherry from behind and the fans, the, 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 the cheers, the rise. And then we're going to get a fall and then we're going to get a rise again. And the second rise is going to be like with tears and all of this. But man, Liz, after she's able to get Sherry out of the ring, it's not guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed. And Randy Savage is going to be Randy Savage until the end of his life. And so Randy Savage is going to stand up, turn around, see Elizabeth, and think that Elizabeth was the one kicking him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Savage, he very well could have thought that he could have done anything. He could have attacked her. He could have rejected her. He could have just left. He could have gone. There's a real feeling in a moment that it could have gone any which way. And man, if you can capture that feeling, a lot of wrestling is predictable and you know, it just is what it is. There are only so many ways to tell a story, but man, if you can really capture that feeling in a moment 
And, like, this really could go any number of ways. Like, that's a magical feeling when you're telling a story, and they do it really well in this moment here. It is. Because, number one, we, we covered this thing, so we know Hulk Hogan deliberately screwed this man. But at the same time, you learn when Randy Savage is standing there almost wanting or not even wanting, the opposite of wanting, accusing Elizabeth, like, you also know that even if Hulk Hogan didn't screw you, that doesn't let you off the hook. Like, you are a man who will find a way to put yourself in this situation. But a beautiful thing has to happen because Randy Savage is confused. He has to look outside of himself. And I don't know the last time he looked outside of himself. But he has to look at the referee. Then he has to look at the fans. And then he has to look at Elizabeth. And I imagine he is seeing the fans and he is seeing Elizabeth for the first time in a long time. There is an awakening to this. There is rebirth in this. The 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 fans who are crying, understanding the history, the way that they hold out the moment, the way that Elizabeth is the one to take two steps forward and one step back, kind of open her arms and then act like she's not opening her arms. Like it is teased out. There's not another human being on the earth. I don't think that could do that for Randy Savage than the one who's doing it at that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's an amazing moment when they are able to reunite. Uh, You'll see so many shots of fans who are, who are just legitimately crying like, tears running down their face man what's another moment like that like i don't know if i've ever seen something quite like that in wrestling you know where where the fans are just crying openly for what's happening in the ring that's really incredible it's not small tears either it's not water dyed it's it's people it's a release and it's three four years of release it is the storied relationship it is savage actually being vulnerable it is savage There's so much a man who is called the macho man um, and who behaves in that way in ways that are often detrimental. Like, I think Liz standing far from him, he has to relinquish something. He has to give something up. He has to acknowledge something. Even with her standing in the ring, I think she still could have walked away because Mm. something had to change. And Randy Savage the smaller he's gotten, the bigger he's acted. Mm. But it's almost like he had to acknowledge that smallness. And he had to be the vulnerable one. And Liz had to be the hero. And for at least one second in time, their roles were reversed in a way that we've never seen before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is an amazing moment. Um, Savage finally gets this moment of redemption. Uh, the person who, who believed in him even uh, when he was misbehaving, who, who never wanted to really separate from him in the first place. Savage drove that separation. You know, Hogan drove it for real, but, you know, uh, Savage definitely made things blow up in a way that uh, was really hard to come back from. And now here we do have this reuniting. Um, we have someone who, who always believed in him, even though uh, sometimes she did take a stand against him. And you get Savage, and what have we talked about with Savage this whole time? Well, he's burning, he's he's clenched, he's running, he's in two places at once. Now, he can finally put that fire out, he can unclench, he can stop running and just stand, he can be present in just one place and concentrate on just one thing. 
And man, there's a lot to be said about that. Like there's a there's a power in that moment, I think. Yeah. This is also why Savage and Hogan could love each other, but they're never gonna get along because they can never be winning at the same time. Yeah. The thing that broke up the mega powers in part was we found out that Hogan's relationship with the Hulkamaniacs could be stronger than Savage's with Liz because Hogan tells us outright that the fans never fully accepted Savage, that the whole screw job is not just your best friend, it's all of us turning on you because we don't acknowledge you as world champion. And then our power together, my power with the fans, is going to break up you and Elizabeth. And in that moment, Hulk Hogan is more powerful than Savage. Hulk Hogan and the Hulkamaniacs are more powerful than Savage and Liz. And even though Hogan's going to get an amazing ovation tonight and he's going to have a triumphant moment, we know the fans are moving further and further away from him. So we have flipped that as well, that Hulk Hogan's relationship with the Hulkamaniacs is now what is going to be failing to the point that Undertaker and Sid are going to be cheered over him at times. Mm. And the Randy Savage-Elizabeth relationship for this night proves stronger than the Hulk Hogan-Hulkamaniac relationship. So they just can never be winning at the same time. Mm. It's interesting because before I went back and really looked strongly at this era, there was always like kind of a thought in my mind of, oh, well, Randy Savage could have been the guy. And I think you just have to look at 1987 to realize that's not really true. As much as you might love Savage, you know, it just couldn't happen. Not on the Hogan level. Like, nobody was really on that level. And yet, you start getting into these years, and you start to understand, well, maybe this is how you can think that. Because I think we are getting to a time when Savage uh, is going to be more beloved by the fans. He's going to be more uh, accepted still at a time where they reject Hogan. Uh, Savage will be champion. He will have uh, a ton of popularity. You know, Hogan at his height, I think, couldn't be replaced. But now we're getting into an era where, yeah, I mean, it could have been the era of Randy Savage. And we've talked about that before. All these years that could have gone to Savage in the WWF. And uh, instead, you know, Savage will be kind of put out to pasture and then he'll leave the company. But, man, like, there's something to it once you start getting into these years, I think. Yeah. And it's called an effect because... Hogan burned himself out in winning, and now you have a Randy Savage who we've not seen win in a long time. So you want to see the guy win who hasn't won, not the guy who wins every day for every year. Um, Hulk Hogan in his height, not only can Randy Savage not touch that, like you're not doing Randy Savage a favor to ask him to do it. But this is a Hulk Hogan that I am less surprised by him not being the top guy. I'm more surprised that he ever resurrected his career in WCW because he is moving into something that all it is, he's living off of something that's gone by and he's going to become more and more stale. He offers nothing. He he adds nothing. His promos are bland. His matches are predictable. The fans are moving on. So in some ways, Randy Savage is reaping a delayed effect of that same feud. And I think that's what they're going to do their whole career is, is just kind of reap and sow off of each other. Absolutely. They're connected far into the future beyond this moment. But uh, yeah, it's sort of incredible looking at it that Hogan will pop uh, WCW business so well in 1994. Cause yeah, certainly that would not have excited me uh, moving forward to that time. But uh that's a whole different story. We have our own unique uh, viewpoint on that. Yeah, I mean, 
we're calling like if nothing else, you are getting a show that we are figuring out in real time because Hulk Hogan, his staying power and quality lasted. Number one, I didn't I didn't know if either of us were going to appreciate him in his height height times, <laughs> but it lasted longer than I ever thought it would. Yeah. But man, when it's off, and it's like Jimmy Hart, you know. It's weird that they come together because you could almost follow their careers because Jimmy Hart and Hulk Hogan now have become like there is all surface and they are bringing nothing like this stupid helmet that Jimmy Hart's wearing. And then he's a Mountie later on. And it's just all, oh, look at my clothes and I'm annoying. And Hulk Hogan is talking about stuff about war that he doesn't understand. He didn't know Saddam's name last week. You know, the quality is gone. And Randy Savage you know, has created something, a redemption story. Hulk Hogan can't have a redemption story because I'm sorry to break it to you. Tugboat splashing you. Nobody believes on that level. This is a level of a man. Like Miss Van just said, like, if Liz doesn't come out, maybe Savage is just dragged off and we never see him again. Like The power of a redemption story and when you dominate forever, like, Props to you because you dominate forever. But if you're in need of a redemption story, it's hard to have one when you are never vulnerable and you never lose. Yeah. Absolutely so. Man, so that was WrestleMania 7. It was an amazing experience. (laughs) (laughs) There's some stuff after this I wouldn't want to lose. But yeah, if this was the true main event, um, it would be a lot more appropriate than the one we get. Uh, Savage does... Hold the ropes open for Miss Elizabeth at the end of this, which I think is a wonderful touch. i got to give credit to it. Um, It's interesting. I'll talk about this, too, later as this year goes on. But uh, as good as this moment is, a lot of this stuff happened when Savage and Liz were actually separating, I think, in real life. Like, they will be divorced later this year, I think. And they will continue to work together. But um, it's just funny. I want to give some recognition to the fact that, yeah, they had a real relationship uh, in a lot of ways, it seems like it was not really a good relationship. Um, but just the story that they're telling, I think, goes beyond that. You know, this is about the characters. It's about the felt sense of uh, of these larger-than-life personas that we've talked about. And it really is just a powerful moment. So I, I have to give all credit in the world to that. And credit to them to be able to pull that off because yeah, that's, that can't be easy. Cannot, um, indeed. Um, this is also why you know Hulk Hogan stale and checked out because a great Hulk Hogan would have started his Sergeant Slaughter promo by saying, "Brother, all I ever wanted to show that man was he needs to hold the ropes for her, and he's finally learned that lesson that the, Hulk, the Hulkamaniacs <laughs> wanted him to understand." But, but no. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, you may be right about that. Um, <laughs> last comment on this, Bobby Heenan uh, gives his final summary of this. Uh, Roman said, "How must it feel?" To, to lose your career, but to walk out with the woman you love. And Bobby Heenan mm. says, well, I'd rather have some money than a skirt. <laughs> and Gorilla Monsoon says, you are a heartless individual. Man, I missed that somehow. That oh, is phenomenal, it. Bobby Heenan. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, and this geez. is the world. I, I was not yet watching wrestling. This is the world that I'm going to come into, though, with the match made in heaven. So, yeah. you know. To be a child and this is what wrestling is, is is a is a strange thing to get swept up into. Yeah. They will, after this, do a, a prime time where they're sort of like in a, I don't know what it is, like a club or something with Heenan 
and Vince and, and Savage and Elizabeth, and they will, you know, show Savage and Elizabeth, like, kind of reuniting and patching things up, and mm. there's some nice moments coming out of that, so maybe we'll have a chance to cover some of it. We'll definitely be talking about it as we go forward. I've never seen that, so we I think we got a lot to look forward to, as we said in 91. Uh, Absolutely. Regis is with The Undertaker and Paul Bearer after this, and Regis is phenomenal. He says, it's a great day to be alive, which then kind of falls awkwardly, and then he's like, man, this guy must be tall. I'm six foot three. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Savage, uh, Taker and Bearer do not say a word in this promo. It's all Regis, kind of like doing Phil, but he's so good at it. And they're just, like, measuring him for his coffin the whole time, literally. And it's great. It's so fun. I love this stretch of little weird promos right here. Yes. They got Undertaker has the tape out measuring him. So Undertaker a little more flexible as a character early on than I remembered him to be. <laughs> yeah, he could do more than just choke you. He could get the tape measure out as well. So yeah. here you are. Regis says, this is a live show. We're dying, guys. <laughs> You're right. He's very uh, well suited in that Okerlund vein to kind of like fill these moments. Like I could see Okerlund doing any of these bits and uh, it would be just about the same as good. Yeah. Alex Trebek is back there with people claiming to be demolition. <laughs> the, the empty shells of demolition. Yes. You know, Smash and Crush and Fuji. Uh, they don't get much done in their conversation here. <laughs> I can't believe they returned to Fuji. Like, this is one of the greatest falls in the history of professional wrestling. <laughs> That's right. I Wow, it's amazing. Because when I saw them with Fuji, I didn't even blink. Because, yeah, yeah I didn't even really care about Demolition anymore. Sadly, because they are one of the best teams ever at their height. And here they are, and they really are shells themselves. And, yeah, they're back with Fuji. I didn't even think about that. I'm kind of a little mind-blown right now. But, yeah, here they are again with Fuji. Uh, it's, it's fitting, but it is sad because, folks, if you remember, the big baby face run <clears throat> came from leaving Fuji, and all of a sudden, here they are back with him, and they are not who they used to be. And Fuji never had their best interest. I don't know if he had any best interest for his wrestlers, but here they are, and it's Crush, and it's Smash, and uh, Axe is gone. They're going to be taking on uh, Tenru and Katal um, later in the show, so Regis... Again, get, getting the getting the interviews that are not that easy to pull off. So we'll be back to Regis again. <laughs> yep, you can't make much headway. It doesn't seem like they speak much English. Uh, he mentions a few Japanese brands, which sort of, like, I don't know if they're, like, impressed that he mentioned them or what, but that draws some reaction at least. But turns out they just want to meet Kathy Lee. Um, so, sorry, Regis. Uh, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's the breaks. <laughs> Regis is not happy about that. He is not having it. <laughs> Kathy Lee's not here to get over it. But you know what? That's how it works. So nobody got what they wanted. We go back to Alex Trebek, who weirdly is with Jake Roberts and Damien. Indeed, yes. And uh, Jake is thinking about putting Damien on Jeopardy, I think. And he is uh, menacing and strange, as always. So the best part of this, I enjoy all these little promos. And maybe the best part of it is at the end, we go back to the booth. And Bobby Heenan is just laughing. And he reveals that he set up the interview schedule for these guys just to uh, stick it to the celebrities and give them the weirdest, like, most terrifying, hard-to-interview, threatening people that he could think of. So... Props to Bobby Heenan. He got some revenge on the celebrity community with this series of interviews. That is a perfect moment. There's one line that Ms. Fan brought out earlier. Bobby Heenan is is upset because he thinks he is as big a celebrity as they are, so why can't he do the interviews? 
And then, you know, we get the story that he set that up. And this, again, Bobby Heenan doesn't know that we're not in 1987, where everything has a purpose and a reason and a story. And so God bless Bobby Heenan on this night. Yeah, I mean, all credit to 1987. At some point, I think we have to start crediting 1991-92 as its own bastion of, of good quality. Because as we talked about, we're going to have this bad main event, and you know, it is what it is. But the farther we get into this year, into the next year, I think the more that we will see this as one of the best periods of the WWF. So at some point, you've got that 1987 vibe, but but it is the 1991 flavor, and it's some very good stuff in that flavor. Absolutely. And this is definitely a beginning of that mixed with some other things like Demolition taking on Tenru and Katow. Indeed. And Tenru, I don't know if you recognize, but uh, this is the guy who fought Randy Savage on that uh, Japanese show mm. that we covered. Uh, it's strange because he is, he is an enormous legend over there. He is one of the top names ever uh, in Japanese wrestling. And Katow is just some guy like he's a nobody so they're on the same level here because uh, nobody knows any better but uh, they're here to fight the the remnants of demolition i have nice powerbomb at the finish <laughs> that's my next note as well a big powerbomb <laughs> to win uh this is another match where it's really not a bad match but it's just uh you know you really have no reason to care about it so uh, you really only need to watch it if you're a completionist uh, the only thing I have to say is, man, Vince McMahon hated Demolition to make them lose to this, like, guest Japanese team that yeah. nobody knew about or cared about. So, man, he he hated these guys, it seems. We buried Demolition. We're going to break up the Rockers. Uh, we're going to job out Power and Glory. And the Nasty Boys are the tag team champions. Yeah, it's rough times. Only Legion of Doom can try to help us now, and I think they can only do so much, so... And they'll be gone, too, at uh, next year's SummerSlam, I think. So. Man. All right, Mean Gene Okerlund is in the back, and he is with the big boss man. Indeed, yes. Uh, he talks to boss man, who uh, is still talking about Heenan insulting his mom, and why shouldn't he? Because he still can't get her name out of his mouth. Uh, he talks about mowing down all the family members, which is pretty cool, I think, except Mr. Perfect, who kind of escaped his grasp so far, but now he's going to get his hands on him at WrestleMania. Yes. He says insults hurt my mama's feelings. Uh, <laughs> and that this will be the perfect example at WrestleMania 7 that crime does not pay. Indeed. So Bossman gets his stuff in there. And Sean Mooney is with Mr. Perfect. And the guy in the announce booth is backstage, Bobby Heenan. So they have joined Sean Mooney. Yep. And they, uh, it's timely, I guess. They referenced the Rodney King uh, police beating, which was big news at the time. I don't know. I, I don't know how comfortable I am with that. That's, um, you know, uh, I'll leave that alone. Uh, apart from that, it's a good promo, just as you would expect from these two. Bobby Heenan calls Sean Mooney shorty at the beginning, and I started laughing because I don't know why he did that or what that was about, but it was just something that happened. <laughs> yeah, Heenan not that much taller than Mooney, but uh, he throws yeah. it out there, and, uh, you know, why not? I was wondering, because sometimes you hear uh, certain, certain announcers, uh, interviewers at this time, would kind of stand... Uh, bow-legged, like kind of feet wide apart, mm. so they would look shorter. So I wonder if it was a rib about that, if Mooney was maybe crouching down and, uh, I don't know, something something maybe happening there. Yeah, Mooney always struck me as fairly tall, especially in comparison. Yeah, like, yeah, I thought Gino. so as well. So maybe he was uh, making himself shorter and he decided to make a joke out of it. We also got the catchphrase of Perfect that we haven't gotten that much during our series, but he, his catchphrase is, I am what I say I am, and that's Perfect. Yep, 
Yep, that's a good one. I love Mr. Perfect. You know I do. It's another great match on this card I'm looking forward to. This is another highlight for me. Yeah, and then I think one of my top five pops for tonight, this is just what's happening by watching the non-pay-per-view stuff, but when we came back and I heard Lord Alfred Hayes' voice, man, I got I got. I got a smiling face drawn right by Lord L-A-H, which is Lord Alfred Hayes in the notes, folks. And <laughs> I can't explain to you, man, but they're, they're taking over some fandom for me. I got some. I got two exclamation marks next to that as well, because yeah. Alfred Hayes uh, is a joy to hear this man. I don't know how many chances we'll really get from this uh, point on, but, man, for one, one match only, he gets to be on WrestleMania commentary in 1991. That's great stuff, and he does a very good job here. And he treats it no different in Coliseum Home Video, and we love him for it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I always imagine Lord Alfred Hayes was a guy who, like, you could probably try to give him notes all day, but he's just going to do what he does, and he's going to be so adorable at it that you can't, you know, you can't stop. You can't look any other way at how, how fun he is. <laughs> I can see him saying, cut, I want, I want to do that one again. <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of WrestleMania. Yes. <laughs> oh, my. Yep, we're live, bud. The old promo. And Gorilla couldn't help him but so much. You put them two together and let them get off track, and I don't know if he'd get back on it. (laughs) Oh, I love commentary like this. It's just fun. I'll take it any day over the polished stuff. That's why I was just thinking, like, if you wanted to have the best of both worlds, we live in the WWE universe where they have all these shows before shows, and, like, the, the commentators are at a desk for, like, 17 hours before the show. Uh, another 12 hours after the show. Mm. If it could be all of these guys like Vince Heenan, uh, Ventura, Lord Alfred Hayes, Sean Mooney, and they're not scripted and they did that stuff for like 12 hours a day, I would just sit and watch the pregame and the postgame and it would be the same level as watching the best pay-per-views in the history of wrestling. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what primetime wrestling was, mm. right? A Preach. lot of these guys getting involved there and, um, you know, that's some of the best stuff that WWF ever produced, I think. I don't think these guys would have stood for these long, like you said, 17-hour stretches sitting at a desk. I think they would have uh, stood up to Vince and said, hell no. But, man, (laughs) like, yeah, just a little bit of that would have gone a long way. would have been great stuff. And if you wonder why I'm talking so much about this, just the same way that when Randy Savage leaves the WWF or even is in the booth, that's going to be sad. I feel equally the same. Like the minute that we don't have a weekend show or a Coliseum home video where Sean Mooney and Lord Alfred Hayes, that's going to hit to me the same way as Randy Savage leaving WWF. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, the the strength of the non wrestling talent in this era, I think, is unparalleled, and it's a big part of what made it work. And it's so good. And we are going to lose something when we move beyond it. We're going to gain some other things as well. But man, it is a big loss, and I will definitely regret it. Yeah, you cannot understate the fact that we've already lost Jesse Ventura. Yep. Uh, Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon. Gorilla's going to move into other things. Heenan's going to get thrown out of the building. Sean Mooney's going to leave. Lord Alfred Hayes is going to leave. Gene Okerlund's going to leave. And it's not like we were waking up to this stuff. We told you, like, years ago, look how they are they are framing this thing. They're making it work. They are the people who make me feel like we're living in a community where these people are authentically who they are every day and have to live amongst each other, have to tolerate each other, have to feud with each other, have to one-up each other. And we will get some other things, but, man, we're going to have to mourn them one at a time as they go out of the WWF in the coming years. 
Man, I'll say this. Vince McMahon threw a lot of babies out with the bathwater coming mm. up here because, yeah, it seems like anybody uh, – Monsoon will stick around because he had a job for life, but almost anybody who um, reminds you of the old days is going to get kind of thrown out on their ear. And some will go because they wanted to, and some – Vince will say, well, you should go because you'll get more money, and some will just kind of be unceremoniously dumped. So a lot of really talented people are going to make an exodus. There's a reason why – Half of WCW, when they're succeeding, is going to be made up of guys that Vince McMahon like, just felt like he didn't need to use anymore. So, uh, you know, they're going to have a lot of success outside of this era. But uh, it will be very sad for us to see them go because they will often not be replaced by people who are nearly as interesting. <laughs> yeah, and good, well said, because sometimes it's, hey, you need insurance. So we understand you need to go get insurance or you need to go get that money. Mm-hmm. But other times it is like, oh, you're 35 years old, and we can't we can't feature you on TV. Right? Yeah, no, it's absurd, you know, especially comp- <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. You know, if you're under 35, you can't be featured on TV. So <laughs> once again, I don't know how it's the same person, but uh, I guess time will change a lot of things. Man, and that's <sighs> we are in that sweet spot. Time is moving, things are changing, and that's kind of why we're doing this, folks. It's kind of why we're talking about this. Um, we definitely, I don't know how we go about doing this, but we got to make sure we get some Sean Mooney and, uh, Lord Alfred. Hey, I need to look up when they leave the company just so we can be aware. All right. We'll do it. We'll do it. We can do a whole special episode if you want, or we can tag it on to, uh, I don't know what the next show is. I have to look that up. So we may have some material to add on there. Man. So we got, this is perfect in boss man though. And so we got this big prime. This is something else to understand. This has been a fairly long WrestleMania, and we still got this IC title match. We still got Ted DiBiase going one on one with Virgil, and we still got the heavyweight title match amongst with other matches. So, this is a very full WrestleMania card. I'd say if you had a main event that actually delivered, and you cut like maybe an hour of like these filler matches, this would be one of the best WrestleManias ever. You know, those yes. are two big changes. But if you did those two things, I really think you would have an all timer here. And you have to do both of them. I respect the fact because it's easy to say have a better world title match. So you all, if you want to have one of the best pay per views, you also need to just cut off some of the nonsense that really shouldn't have been there. And give them their payday, have the longest dark match, don't take their money away. But you know, man, the stuff that is right is as good as anything. And then it's just you know, it's just mixed up with a lot of other stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's uh, not. Not atypical of these early WrestleManias, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep looking as we go along. I'd still say this is one of the better WrestleManias we've seen. You know, yeah. I'll give credit to it. I don't know where it would rank, because we ranked them a while ago, and we were very in sync, and uh, we'll have to see if that holds up, but it, it's a good WrestleMania. It is. It's getting harder to tell, and yeah. I think it'll get more complicated as we go on. But Definitely. Definitely. I got the impression that uh, these two don't like each other in their build-up in the ring before the match. What, Heenan or a perfect emboss man? Yeah, it just seemed like they didn't. Um, do you mean, was, like, legitimately or, like, in the context of the story? Context. Uh, no, the context. The, the spitting on each other and, oh, and yeah. <laughs> uh, wipe, wiping the rear end with the, with, the, um, with the towel and the slapping each other. It just seemed like maybe there was a feud here. Uh, yeah, it could have been. Could have been. Yeah, no, this is some very hot stuff. Uh I love at one point, um, Perfect kind of retreats out of the ring. Bossman goes after him. He slaps him, and I swear to God, Perfect flies up in the air, turns yeah. sideways, and spins like a frisbee just off of this slap, and 
God, it's not possible that this could happen. It's so amazing. Mr. Perfect is just truly incredible. No, there's no exaggeration. This is it's the stuff of um, cartoons or anime or whatever <laughs> else where you are allowed to do whatever you want to do. And it's possible because they're not actual people. Absolutely. God, if you ever seen um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, you know that, like, basically he's a tune in there. Mm. Like, the things he can do defy all natural yes. logic and physics. So, but he'll do it as long as it's funny, as long as he gets a pop, you know. So, it's good stuff. Man, this is this is a very interesting I, – I would think Bossman is going to become the IC champion, I think, if I'm watching this in real time. I mean, he could have done great things with that belt, I think, and uh, I'll never bet against Mr. Perfect because he's one of my all-time favorites, but both of these guys are showing that they're just huge MVPs of this period. I think this is a great match, um, and again, I'm amazed that people don't talk about these matches more because I think these matches are just incredible. Like, they are so much fun. Yeah, you kind of get the. It's always Hennig's on the run, and you would think that would give Hennig the advantage, but when you're wrestling the big boss man, it really doesn't. Yeah, it's true. Big boss man continues just to be criminally underrated, and I think a lot of it is just there's this big bias against big guys in this time. And mm. I get it because we'll see some useless big guys kind of come along, but man, people like boss man often do not get the credit they should, and uh, I will give huge credit to boss man in this moment, because he's doing incredible stuff. What about the hair swing at the beginning? Oh, where he, like, drags him around by the hair, and, yeah, yeah. like, how do they do that? <laughs> Mr. <sighs> Perfect is like, oh, I don't know how you could do that without it just legitimately being, putting you in debilitating pain, and, yeah, Perfect will do it just fine, and it's amazing. I don't, I don't even know. Yeah. This is a grudge match slash title match, and I think that's going to be a big problem for the big boss man. And it's why he's going to excel in gimmick matches. He's going to have the mounties. He's going to have nails. But he's not going to win a lot of belts because yeah. I think when you put a belt in front of him and you put a grudge in front of him, he's going to go grudge over belt. Yeah. He will be – I think so as well. He will be something of an attraction. He will be almost a little Jake Roberts-like in that he will have all these unique stories to him. I love him for that. Um it's great stuff, you know. Uh, they will talk a lot in this match about Boss Man going through every member of the Heenan family, uh, which basically just meant Barbarian and Haku at this point. <laughs> but, man, I swear I wrote this before what's going to happen later, but I wrote, I wish Big Boss Man versus Andre the Giant uh, had had a chance to happen because, man, that sounds like something real good to me. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I wrote this in Savage's matchup, and I did not know Andre is coming out on this show. Savage falls and gets locked in the ropes, Andre style, and I just put, man, I miss the big man. <laughs> it's not over yet, because, yes, we will see him on this show, which I had forgotten. It's really incredible. Um, so we get a lot of hot stuff in this match. Huge bumps. Perfect bumping out of the corner is still something I would just frame and, like, put in the Hall of Fame if I could. Yeah. Uh, Bossman will whip Perfect with a belt, which will horrify Alfred Hayes. Uh, Bossman's shirt will be opened up, which always tells you something special is happening. Uh, a lot of really good stuff in here. Yeah, if, again, I think the only problem with it for Bossman is it's more grudge match. And maybe that's why Bobby Heenan went back to insulting his mom, because either we're going to drop the belt or we're going to get Bossman to overreact. <laughs> yeah, like to, to Heenan, a DQ is as good as any other kind of win if he keeps the title in the family. Yeah. So that's good stuff. 
These are titles. Remember, this is the same legacy series where Gorilla Monsoon had that ongoing narrative about Bobby Heenan not managing champions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think that did a number on Bobby Heenan because uh, he will be very desperate. Uh, even more so to keep his hands on the titles that he gets. And you notice anytime a Heenan family member loses a title, Heenan will kind of go nuts on them now. You know, that's how he lost it with the Brain Busters, how he lost it with Andre. I, I think he really developed a complex from all of that uh, bullying from Gorilla Monsoon. Oh, that is a great, great legacy point, because not only is that true, and then it, it makes us realize what happened with the Brain Busters and Andre, but then we're going to get the greatest performance in the booth probably of all time, and what is it? It's Bobby Heenan calling a Royal Rumble that decides a world champion with his guy, Ric Flair, in that Rumble. Yeah, yeah, and that's the one that he can never uh, truly get his hands on, you know, 30 seconds of Andre notwithstanding. So it's going to be some depth of feeling and character and story there that is going to be very special to talk about. Who's in the booth with him that night? Uh, that's Monsoon, yeah. Oh, that's, that's the dream fitting. team, yeah. Watch what you say, Monsoon. <laughs> No, we will thankfully get a long stretch, I think, of mostly Heenan and uh, Monsoon in the booth on pay-per-view. So that's going to be some very good stuff. Nice. Uh, so yes, we get uh, we get uh, speaking of special moments, Andre the Giant walks down that aisle. And there's a great moment. There's a wide shot. You see Andre towering above the fans as he walks by them, and Bobby Heenan is walking at ringside, and he sees he Andre, and he just freezes. And it's a beautiful little shot right there because it tells you, I think, everything you need to know in a quick moment there. It does. It does. Andre's looking a little grandfatherly. Um, but, man, we get Andre Chance, which if anything, if you just bring him back just so he can come out and get Andre Chance because he did so much fantastic work in this series as a heel, so he could not get his credit but I love the fact that the, the moment the window was open to be able to cheer him, the fans went with it. They, I've said this before, I think, but I give credit to WWF. They will keep trying to use Andre in any way they can, right up until uh, just about very close to when he passes away. Um, I give credit to that. They will advertise him for, I don't remember if it's 91 or 92, but they will advertise him for a Royal Rumble at one point. And uh, physically, he ends up not being able to do it, sadly. But, man, they really wanted to keep him in the mix. And, man, I would even if he couldn't do much, just to see him in one of those rumbles, that would have been a lot to me. Yeah, seeing him and Ric Flair together. Oh, my God. Yeah. Some special oh, stuff right there. Andre, to me, will always be the rock of this era. And I don't know if anybody in the world will ever understand that. But <laughs> he comes out with his little button-up, uh, untucked shirts, and he is... He's Mr. Charisma, even though we might not recognize it at first. Like, there's there's a secret Andre the Giant, and he is special, <laughs> special, special in this series. And it just hit me when he came out. Like I said, I'm going to put Warrior in this, even though Warrior in some ways doesn't belong in it, but I'll just put him in it anyway. But we're talking about this is a pay-per-view that, that fronts, puts on the front line Hulk Hogan, Bobby Heenan, Macho Man Randy Savage, Andre the Giant, and we'll put those together, and then Ultimate Warrior. So if you care about your history and it means anything to you, this is a little bit of a family reunion revival uh, for WWF as they try to make WrestleMania feel like they want it to feel here. Yeah, and I mean, even Ted DiBiase, Jake Roberts. Yeah, like I meant such, that. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank exactly. you. Exactly. So just incredible 
star power on this WrestleMania. And yeah, a lot of people getting the credit that they ought to get in a, a scenario like this. So it, it's very good stuff. Yes, thank you. That's what that's the, what made me realize what I just said is when we're to, almost at the end of the show and Ted DiBiase has a prominent role at the end. I was like, this is the entirety of WrestleMania four. Like it's all of them. And then plus Warrior who came next. So like, you know, it almost reminds me of when WWF first started having um, the part timers before they were called the part timers, you know, <laughs> because in one way. It's nice to have it, but in another way, it is, I think, compensating for the fact that they're not going to give us this all the time and people are starting to realize it. Hey, man, for like all the 2000s, both Undertaker and Shawn Michaels seemed to work about maybe six months of the year and they were more special for it. And, uh, mm. you know, so I, I've never been against uh, the idea of part timers in general. Um, it's just it's the way you use them. And I'll say even even with Andre, you can hardly do anything to have him make these special appearances you know, it does feel special. It feels right. Like they're you, they're doing it in a way that makes sense. You know, if Andre is out there and he like sat on Randy Savage to pin him in like 30 seconds, that would be another story. So, you know, it's really about how you present these things. It makes all the difference. Well said. And I even think the most, the, the special moment of, of Andre coming out hasn't even happened yet. Yeah. Yeah. No tell. Go on. Well, so we got, we got Andre, um, who's going to, kind of help out uh, the boss man. He's going to get the belt. He's going to get the most nonchalant sides uh, shot with the belt. Uh, but we're going to get this qualification ultimately because Bobby Heenan rightfully sends in uh, the family. So uh, Haku comes in. Barbarian comes in. Uh, Andre has to take care of people outside the ring, I think, probably because of health and uh, boss man on the inside of the ring. And you think it's over. And then on the floor, after the match, down the ramp, Bossman chases Andre, puts his hands on his shoulders. Andre turns around, looks at him like Savage first looked at Liz, and you think there's going to be some trouble. <laughs> and then these two are standing next to each other, and I don't know how this works because Bossman looks like the, the tiniest giant of all time, but still he still looks like a giant man, but a tiny giant man. <laughs> and, and Andre the Giant looks like a giant, giant man, and you got these two towering figures uh together they acknowledge each other andre shakes his hand and i think in the lore and the build of the boss man if we had gone as far as we could have this could have been an even more incredible moment uh for big boss man as he kind of gets a little bit of that andre energy off of the big man yeah yeah no it's great stuff um as much as i was thinking about them wrestling at the end of this i was also thinking about them being a team and just god how would you ever stop that mm. team you know they would be uh on top of the world forever. So holy smokes. Yeah, no, some great, great stuff there. Uh, I think this is a great match. Uh, maybe the DQ will be a barrier for some, but God, just like the bumps, the attacks, the offense, Andre coming out. This is a great experience for me. This is a top notch stuff in my opinion. No, it has to be. Um, we got to figure out this. Some, we got, we got a lot of work to do in the coming years because of the people leaving and we'll get boss men back again, but we also, Man, when he goes out, we got to contextualize what this run has meant because even I don't fully know how to talk about it yet. No, yeah, I mean we've got a, we've got a lot of good stuff to go yet, so so stay tuned. There will be fun to be had here. Absolutely, Gene Okerlund is in the crowd with uh, Trump, with Chuck Norris, <laughs> with Henry Winkler, who is Fonzie, and Lou Ferrigno. 
So yeah. the thing that caught my attention in this one yeah. is Chuck Norris, number one. Did he say he was in a movie with Hulk Hogan? Maybe. I, I fast-forwarded through all okay. of this, so I can't tell you. I think he did. So I have no idea what that is. Maybe it's an obvious one, but I did not know. I had no idea. And we're going to get Chuck Norris again, folks, whether we want him or not, because he is he's going to have himself a program in WWF in, in the near future. Not near future, but near future. And yeah, then sure. I am a big... I'm a big fan of Happy Days, so seeing Fonzie there was a nice little plus for me. Yeah, very nice, very nice. Um, My thought coming out of this is uh, Lou Ferrigno uh, gives me um, frightening uh, foreshadowing images of the World Bodybuilding Federation, Mm. because he will have involvement in that. And uh, yeah, that is something that is coming up sooner than you think. It's going to be that, and it's going to be IcoPro, it's going to be all these weird side projects that will not pan out. I did not know that. So basically, let me see if I can get my notes right. This might be Chuck Norris, but I think he says – one of them says they've been watching since Gorgeous George. So, oh, wow. That's awesome. I yeah. Like I said, I pretty much skipped through these, but that that's cool to hear. We always have Benjamin Button shouting out Gorgeous George in yes. the, uh, the forum, and rightfully so, because uh, he influenced just countless people that came after him. And I'm going to go ahead and apologize to the Earthquake fans one more time uh, for the Legacy Series, but – there's something about seeing Andre the Giant again and then going to Earthquake next. So it just reminds me of none of this was Andre and nor was it even what else it was supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have Greg Valentine versus Earthquake, which maybe tells you where Earthquake is gone and where Valentine is gone on the card, uh, sadly. Um, for for again for short matches this is not a bad match i kind of enjoyed part of this because part of it is just valentine like smashing earthquake with all his might um but uh there's 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 not too much going on here of course earthquake will pick up the victory before too long yeah i would have put valentine over earthquake here oh god yes i mean obviously but valentine he will probably never go over anybody again so you know don't hold your breath for that it just didn't have to be that way, though. You know, you got him in that stupid dark hair, and then he turns baby face and returns. Like, they could have tried something with him. And Earthquake, you know, Earthquake's on his way out, too. He's going to be a natural disaster. So he's not exactly challenging Hogan anymore. So it's another weird matchup where, you know, don't you have superstars on the weekend, or do you not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right about that. Um, my only uh, note of interest is at the start of this match, you have Heenan back on commentary saying, oh, I, I don't know what happened with Andre. He and I are still good friends, so, you know, I have to talk to him. And, like, oh, it's a great just he didn't make his stuff up again, trying to make reality what he yeah. wants it to be through force of will. If Gorilla Monsoon is your audience, you might as well not even try. <laughs> yeah, Andre go. will pick on uh, Heenan a few more times as we go forward, and we will try to uh, pick up on those moments for sure. Yes. And so – not knowing what's coming up with LOD and uh, Power and Glory, I still noted Sean Mooney's first comment, which says, we're going to see a reckoning for Power and Glory. <laughs> yep, so that tells you kind of what you need to already. Um, Hawk says they will be sour and gory, so take that for what you will. Yeah, this is, um, they're mad because they were supposed to challenge the Heart Foundation, and uh, Power and Glory helped the Nasty Boys, so if we play our cards right, they can destroy power and glory and we can still get the LOD and the nasty boys for the tag team titles. Oh my God. I was just thinking, imagine switching the nasty boys and power and glory on this card. How much better would it have been for that? So 
I'd have something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, the Nasty Boys had been slaughtered in a minute, and Power and Glory became tag champions. That would have been a much fairer, better world to be in. Go back and watch Power and Glory. I think it's with the Rockers, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You know, some of those matches, and 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 let's not pretend like um, they sh- that they should be doing what they're about to do right now. Yeah, I mean, what is there to say? As I mentioned, they pretty much get squashed in a minute. They don't get much offense. Uh, it shouldn't have happened to a great team like Power and Glory. So I love uh, Legion of Doom, but still, it's a damn shame. Yeah, double clothesline, big slam, pick them up on the shoulders, clothesline them off the top rope. And that's pretty much it. Um, Grow Monsoon said we may have a record time at WrestleMania. <laughs> Proving <laughs> that Monsoon uh, does not remember the own events that he has been at, because we all remember King Kong Bundy squashing SD Jones. So here we are. Yeah. And it also means that they, they did them worse than Earthquake could do Greg Valentine at the end of Greg Valentine's WWF run. So mm, yeah. we know where everybody's headed. Uh, man, power and glory, though. So much potential. Yeah. I don't know how much longer they go on. Maybe there'll be some bonus matches we can dig up to kind of give them a better ending. But uh, I think, yeah, they will not be around tremendously much longer. <laughs> we are just... Man, Brainbusters left a little over a year ago, I think. Was it 88 or was it 89? 89. And we are, we are taking the division in a completely different direction. Yeah, we're not in that golden era anymore. You're not going to see any 20-man Survivor Series matches now, that's for sure. They, they couldn't fill that many, uh, and they shouldn't, even if they could, because some of these guys should not be getting pay-per-view paydays. So here we are. I think what we're going to get is, you see how Hulk Hogan's dominating and nobody's liking it? What if we made the tag division like that, too? <laughs> We will definitely see more Nasty Boys than we would like to. We already have, actually, so, yeah. So we got ourselves a big-time, big-time grudge matchup coming up next. It is the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, going one-on-one with Virgil. Absolutely. We see clips of the feud, many of which we've seen already. We see one we didn't get a chance to check out, which is Virgil distracting Ted DiBiase so that he is counted out against the jobber. On uh, on either Superstars or Wrestling Challenge, so uh, gives him a chance to to throw a fit and puts another mark on this feud, which is such a hot feud, man. The crowd, there there are a few matches that they might they're they're the loudest for, and this is definitely one of the ones which has some of the biggest crowd reactions of the whole night. I was gonna say, if you want to go by crowd reactions, Virgil is up there with just about anybody. Yeah, make Virgil next champion, maybe just based on this night. <laughs> Yeah, if he wore face paint, he'd be in. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe one other change, but we won't talk about that. Um. <laughs> he comes out in a boxing gimmick, and Bobby Heenan says it looks like George Foreman on Nutrisystem. <laughs> Bobby That's Heenan, a good line. A great night. Yeah, no, absolutely. Good stuff. Well, you know, I kind of like the boxing. I kind of like, because I don't know how much he can wrestle, so I forgot he kind of wears the shorts and kind of shuffles about. And I think, I think if he could make it a threat... Like it's got to be. This is what this is kind of Johnny B. Badish. That I like Johnny B. Bad in the beginning, and if he hits you with the left hook, you were knocked out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll say Virgil. Like we know he has his limitations, but man, I don't understand folks who think Virgil was bad in this period because I think he does just about everything he could do uh, to put on some quality stuff in this match. He's playing to his strengths. Like you said, they gave him the boxing thing, and I think he made it work well. Uh, DiBiase, of course pushes the mash as high as he can go, which is pretty damn high 
I would say. This is a real highlight of the night. But I got to give credit to Virgil as well. I think he did a very good job, all things considered. Yeah. I think if he had something dangerous, because DiBiase already makes this. Like, DiBiase plays the heel so well in this. But if there's also that fear of getting, especially with DiBiase, the fear of getting knocked out by Virgil, that would be, you know, because you're going to get money put in your mouth, too, if that happens, at, right. at, the, least, <laughs> at the least, I'll say. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, I don't know. It's a great, it's a great uh, way to, I guess, could say continue the feud because this is not going to resolve the feud. No, I mean to me, this feud uh, peaks at SummerSlam, so we got a long ways to go still. But this, this is an excellent chapter of this feud. Uh, you got DiBiase who's doing uh, the bumping and the stooging when he needs to, and he's doing some vicious offense also. You have Virgil doing a good job. You have Roddy Piper at ringside. He's on the crutches because he had his motorcycle accident. Or if you ask Bobby Heenan, maybe a tricycle accident. Um, <laughs> but Piper, yeah, putting a ton of energy into this as well. I'm impressed at how much better he is at this than he is at commentary. Just shows you, I think, he's one of these guys who needs a story to sink his teeth into. He can't just comment on anything, but give no. him something he's invested in, and he'll be as good as anybody. Yeah, I'm glad to have him away from the booth. He's doing a good <laughs> job, especially having to be vulnerable and get it pushed around. Like I don't think he likes it, and... It's all the more reason why we need it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, he does a good job with it. And you're right, it's not typical of him. But uh, I think there's a part of Piper, you know, who who wants to be like the last gunfighter, like staggering down the street and like pulling mm-hmm. himself mm-hmm. up. And at the end, he's like dragging himself up on the ropes. I think he enjoys some part of that. So there, there's something there that he really gets into at some point, I think. I agree with that. That's a good call. Um, so yeah, you get a lot of stuff, uh, between DiBiase and Piper. He will shove him around. He will knock him over on the crutches. Um, you get, uh, get a really good, just a really good match, I think. And in the end, uh, Piper kind of baits DiBiase into, uh, being on the outside a little too long. Maybe grabs his foot a little bit. DiBiase gets counted out and man, he is furious about it. It is a great reaction here at the end of the match. <laughs> yeah. And I don't blame him because... What we're failing to see, and sometimes is DiBiase's on the run of his career. He beat Dusty Rose and Dustin Rose by himself when Virgil wasn't getting it done. Yeah. And so I honestly think he thought he was going to come out and like knock Piper out on the floor, knock uh, Virgil out in the ring, win the matchup, and continue that run. And I think that's in likelihood that's a possibility that was going to happen. But, you know, when DiBiase gets off his game, it gets tough for DiBiase. Yeah. If you've ever... Um uh, in life or in a game or anywhere, if you've ever been on like a really good run of something and then you suddenly hit this, this obstacle, this barrier, which you know you should be able to overcome and yet you keep tripping over it, I think then maybe you start to feel the frustration that DiBiase must feel getting counted out in this match. Because, yeah, by all accounts, he should have been able to come out here and just wipe the floor with Virgil and just throw him in the garbage can and, and, and move on and move up. And yet he will lose by count out. Uh, he will get a bit embarrassed at times. He will not get the outcome that he was looking for. So you definitely get, uh, I think a strong emotional sense of what, what is going on in this match. Yeah. And yet it blew my mind when Piper Virgil brought Piper out and Teddy Biasi came out alone. Yeah, yeah, true. You but know. he will not leave alone, which I am very uh, pleased about as well. That's yeah. another. <laughs> it blows my mind that on the same night that Savage lost his career, Sherry's going to come out and join Ted DiBiase. <laughs> she will. Uh, after the match, DiBiase will attack Virgil. 
Um, Piper will come in. He will hit DiBiase with the crutch. And for a minute, the baby faces will be on top. But Sherry will run out wearing a totally different and still awesome dress. And she will attack Roddy Piper. Piper will, will like look around and he'll stare at her. And there's this, this moment where he's not moving and he's staring at her like he can't believe that she would come out and attack him like this. And then DiBiase just clubs him in the back of the head like there's no tomorrow. And DiBiase and Sherry start ripping Roddy Piper to pieces. And it's just a beautiful moment, in my opinion. It, yeah, it's something. This is another one that it, the whole babyface locker room has to be put on notice when Sherry and Ted DiBiase out of nowhere come together. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Sherry, um, they talk at times like, oh, Savage was her meal ticket, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, you believe that or not if you want. But, man, if there's a guy in 91 that you want to partner up with, it's Ted DiBiase. So I, I think Sherry made a great choice here. Yeah, they're looking a lot better than the, um, the duo who was kind of riding the wave uh, coming into this. And I do have to say that working over Piper's knee was a little bit too close to working over his hip in WCW, and it brought back some bad memories for me. <laughs> you know, I didn't think of that. I could see that. Uh, I think we're not that far along yet. But, yeah, they really do go after that knee. Um, Virgil comes in, and they back off. Uh, Piper, he sells this very well after the fact because the referees kind of try to help him. He's lashing out. He's knocking them away. Um, you know, giving Steve Austin maybe a little clue about what to do in a few WrestleManias farther on and then uh, we do get Virgil he gets on the mic he urges Piper to kind of pull it together get back on his feet Piper does what I said he drags himself up in defiance at the end and I, I really just got to praise this feud now it's got four parts I feel like all four parts are, are just delivering hugely and they're going to top themselves even at SummerSlam so this is great stuff great addition to an already very good Wrestlemania yes and it's an absolutely marvelous flip because the Piper Virgil Friendship began with Roddy Piper trying to teach him how to stand up for himself and overcome odds. And now he's telling Piper, like, don't just lay down there, get up. So the roles have reversed. I love, in a different time and place, Piper would have just dominated his part of this feud. And Virgil would have just been like, like he would, it wouldn't have even mattered that he was there half the time. But they really make an effort to make it well-rounded to hear, yeah, they turn it around. And Virgil, you know, he has his moment as well where he's the one who has to encourage piper and just ah, it's so well put together like the creative on this is just top notch i think yeah that's what i've been saying all night the the stuff that's right is not just right on the big picture it is some of the finest details in wrestling that you're gonna see absolutely yeah good stuff um so that closes everything good at this wrestlemania we have two other things to talk about but uh that's the quality stuff so yeah if you ask me this wrestlemania that opener with the rockers hakun barbarian and then uh martel and jake and then savage and warrior of course birthday boss man and now dibiase and virgil jesus what a five-part combo for any wrestlemania like that's some wonderful stuff right there i gotta give huge credit to that to that collection of matches right there yeah how many shows can you say that there are five on that level and especially some of the levels that some of them hit yeah. so you know these are complicated shows to call because they're three and a half hours a lot goes on within them but <laughs> like you you kind of selfish if you can get five experiences like that and not have anything positive to say right yeah uh, there's some good stuff as well uh some bad stuff as well 
Uh, we yeah. go to a clip of Slaughter burning the stupid Hogan T-shirt instead of the American flag because they're the same thing, I guess, to some people. Um, we see Adnan yelling, and Sergeant Slaughter pulls his grandma face, which I cannot unsee, and that is exactly what it is. He's a grandma expecting an answer to a question she just asked and just sticking the chin out. And, man, like... Ah, it's just bad. It's bad stuff. I like Slaughter, so I wanted to give some credit. I'll give him a little credit in the main event, but man, like, he is not helping. He's doing a bad job, to be honest. Yeah, I getting in shape and the way he wrestles the main event, I have some good things to say, but mm. this gimmick, like, this is a guy against the Nickelodeon heel that he betrayed his country. Like, all night long I spent thinking... Like, why did you sacrifice so much? Like, you, he can't beat the Ultimate Warrior. The fact that he did stun the audience and might have lost WWF some fans. And, like, you know he's not going to beat Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan. So I was just, I couldn't concentrate on the match. I kept asking myself, like, why would you give up so much for something that at best would be such a short experience? Because he's up here talking about the Pucamaniacs and the Ultimate Slime and... <laughs> New rules. Like, this is the first world title match, I think, WrestleMania world title match, where the champion so obviously can't not beat the challenger that he's just threatening, I might get DQ'd, I might get counted out. It's like, there's no suspense, there's no intrigue, and I just think, man, you you really, you know, you really made a choice that you're going to have to live with in this company, and I don't know... Like, I still don't fully know why you did it. I still don't know the connection between is being world champion somehow helping, like, the war calls. But then if you lose the belt, then then the war calls is being affected. Like, I don't know your motivation. I don't know your goals. I don't take you seriously. And I don't think you can win. So what am I supposed to be doing as I sit here? Right. And it's absurd as well because I'm just looking it up now, and this is what I thought. Uh, the whole thing ended, the Desert Storm <laughs> thing ended in February. And here we are, like, deep in March, and we're still having this match. It's not even connected to anything anymore. There's not even, like, a war to fight in. But, <sighs> you know, here we are. Like, everybody's at peace, and they're still having this stupid war angle. So it's just, it's absurd. You know, it makes no sense. Yeah, when you're a stupid angle that should never have happened, outlast a war. You got you got just have a problem. <laughs> big, big problem. Jeez. Yep. He has declared himself the new ruler of the WWF, which we know who the master and the ruler of the world is. And I think he just opened the door for who's about to arrive in the WWF. <laughs> oh, don't don't threaten me with Sid after I'm trying <laughs> to put up with slaughter. For God's sakes, what are you doing to me? <laughs> I'm trying to prepare you. Is that another step? Okay, all right. We'll see what happens. Somebody has to referee that SummerSlam match. <laughs> a match made in hell. What an accurate <laughs> word for that, because it's it's. Miss, you have already kind of let them know, which on paper would be a surprise, but uh, Mountie is about to take on Tito, and that is not something to look forward to. Uh, unfortunately not. I mean, it, it's, it's almost as short as the Power and Glory match, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, they fight for a little bit, and, you know, they're both talented, so it's not bad, but then just a little cattle prod, and I guess the show's running long, so let's pin Tito again. We always pin Tito on pay-per-view, and that's about it. Yeah. And we could have just cut the next promo because there's going to be nothing of any effect, but Gene Erkeland is with Hulk Hogan. 
Um, <laughs> it wasn't. A, it was not a laughing matter when they they scorched that shirt. <laughs> Apparently not. Um, he says Slaughter torched the dreams of his Hulkamaniacs, and he calls himself New Technology. Uh, and he has secret weapons and battle plans. And if you can pick out his secret weapons and his battle plans in this match we're about to watch, please tell me, because I did not detect anything. They were too secret for me. Yeah. And your new technology, because if you're not going to be anything until you join the NWO, it is new. <laughs> uh, except getting a new body. So that'll happen. Um. This is where this stupid feud is. So we, we have seen some of the greatest feuds of all time and Gene Oakland has to ask you are you even the same man that you were a week ago and then we go a week back where they beat him up after a matchup like in in, in a their Nickelodeon style and we're wondering <laughs> oh man can Hulk Hogan wrestle tonight I think they hit him with the championship belt one time or something yeah so far cry from some of the stuff that Hogan has been through from being choked by Andre to being uh, avalanched by Bundy this is not on the level. It didn't come crashing down. It didn't hurt inside. Yeah. You know, we've talked about it. It just uh, doesn't work. And yeah, Nickelodeon is right. I can so see Slaughter and Adnan, like, chasing children around <laughs> while, like, the music plays, and then, like, a slime bucket falls on their head, and that's how they're defeated. It definitely feels like that. Yes. And they would be defeated. They would be rolling in it, and like, oh, man, I, I, you know, and that would be the end of it. Yep. <laughs> and yet we're going to watch the longest matchup ever. And I think... I haven't really watched it. I kept hitting the arrow, so I saw everything that happened. And I think there's parts of it that's not bad. I think Slaughter's going to do a pretty good job at times. But again, you got to make me watch it to be able to see whether that happened or not. And, like, I can't watch this. Right, yeah. This match is way too long. I would say it's the weakest on the show. Even with that, it's not all bad. Like, you know, it does get kind of bloody at the end. As You know, there's a little bit of something there. And Slaughter, yeah, I think he does do a good job at times. He has some big bumps. You know, he is in good shape. You know, he's got something there. Maybe even Hogan. But, yeah, it just seems to go on forever. Doesn't feel like it matters. Um, I did not understand. They put Regis on commentary for yeah. this match. And he is nothing but, like, he will try to come up with, like, quips and jokes and stuff. And, like, is totally against the tone of this match. I don't know. Like, Hogan gets a big reaction from the crowd. I won't say he doesn't. But almost nothing about this match really works well. So... It, certainly it could have been worse, but it's a very weak match, and it does seem to just go on forever. So, you know, you are right about that. I don't know how to explain to you that I don't feel like they're enemies. Like, this could be two years in a row that, that he's wrestling friend versus friend matches. Right. Yeah, I, like, I, know. I, I no... just don't buy that they are. Yeah, you're, you're totally yeah. right. I think it... All you really could do if you wanted to be convincing, it wouldn't be a good world title feud, is just... Hogan continually saying, like, I feel bad for him. Like, this is my friend, and there's something wrong with him, and he's going to come back around. Like, Slaughter's done nothing to have, to indicate to me that he would have such a big change. I don't know his motives. He seems really – like, I don't see him as a bad guy. I don't think he wants to harm anybody, you know? <laughs> like, that blood on Hogan should have been slime, and that should have been the thing, and maybe that would work. <laughs> I don't know how to say it because I know that I know what I'm supposed to feel, and it's not like we didn't do our due diligence. We watched a Brother Love interview with Sergeant Slaughter. We watched a Sergeant Slaughter interview down the ring before he had his Survivor Series moment. We watched the Royal Rumble. Like I honestly put at the beginning, I feel like I'm watching a Saturday morning episode of WWF, not a World Title match at WrestleMania. Yeah, 
I don't know. He definitely came in just with a long mustache to twirl and not really any reason yeah. to do so. So, yeah, there's no legwork being done here. It, it doesn't really work. He's got his slacks on. He looks like someone who should be working at a desk. <laughs> I, I just don't know. I don't know what's going on here. But, man, and it's Hogan. Like, Hogan's losing the, the thing that he had, and now he's doing it against lesser threats. There's got to be a beginning, even if fans aren't realizing it consciously. Of hey, they could all they could offer something different at the end of the show, and that might be nice. Yeah, yeah, I I think it is burning goodwill again. Even though it gets a good reaction from the crowd, yeah. the buy rate will be down. Uh, they couldn't draw people to the stadium like they wanted to. You know, the the fans who are still into Hogan are still into Hogan, but those fans are shrinking, and more of them are turning away. I think. Yeah, that's the fact. The, the fans that are here, like, if you just judge it by crowd reaction, he's doing well. The, the American flag, he's going to wave it at the end after, then he's going to wipe the blood off his face with it and throw it down. But, you know, that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Indeed. But there's nothing authentic. I, I cannot, like, I've already, I've said enough about Slaughter's gimmick, but we also have to remember that Hulk Hogan didn't know who Saddam Hussein was on TV or a pay-per-view or whatever. <laughs> and so, like, how offended can you really be? Like, this... Hack, like, this was born to be a hacksaw Sergeant Slaughter match in the middle of a card somewhere and not what it is. Yeah, for sure. And it's strangely, like, I don't know if I want to say clumsy, but, like, it doesn't go well at times because there's one moment in particular I remember that General Adnan basically costs Slaughter the win because he's distracting the referee for a long time while Slaughter is pinning Hogan for, like, longer <laughs> than a three count. Yes. And it's like... What? Like, just the, all the care and attention and detail that went into all these other matches and feuds that we talked about that are so good is so lacking here. It's unbelievable. It is like, you know, it's a comedy of errors at times, how little sense this makes, like the weird mistakes, the parts, like the wrong feeling of it. Again, Regis being on commentary, this is the most bizarre choice that I can think of. Like, nothing... Nobody paid attention to this match somehow, and this is what we got. <laughs> that blew my mind. I think he has it for like a 10 to 15 count. Yes, he pins Hogan it for kick like out. Just... half the match, it feels like, and Adnan is just chatting it up with the referee. So, like, what the hell happened there? I made a legacy series. Uh, I called an audible. So, like, there's a moment that we're going to have later on in this series towards the end of it where Steve Austin is going to join Vince McMahon. And I think in any world ever, for me, it was the wrong choice to make. Austin says if he could do it over, he would have called an audible and not done it mm. like in the moment because the fans just did not want to boo him. They didn't want to believe that. So I am going to open up a world where they get to call that audible. And to replace that, Adnan's on the apron because Hulk Hogan is really with Adnan, and then he turns heel on Sergeant Slaughter and betrays <laughs> his country. <laughs> Oh, man. You know, we, we talked about Hogan turning heel, and he's going to get rejected next year anyway, so hey, why not? There's something about, like, we talked also, like, it didn't work. It would have only worked really in WCW, so it could be that outsider, but if he turns on America, I don't know. It probably would have just been more Nickelodeon shit, but man, like, there's something, I don't know, that could be something. Oh, yeah, it would have been awful in the long run, but I think it's what they deserve. It's what Hogan deserves in this time of his career and what this feud deserves. Like, turn him into a monster, let him start acting like Sergeant Slaughter, too, and then let someone beat him a month later, and they're like, 
just like, oh man, that Hulk Hogan, uh, well, we really were wrong about him for a while. Turned out the whole time, folks, he was just, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but can he stick his chin out like Slaughter? That's what we got to know. So. I'm making fun, but you know, I don't know what, what, what else can I say about the fact that not only did Adnan call Sergeant Slaughter, but now I was telling you that I don't believe Sergeant Slaughter enough to be a heel or a main eventer, and he had Hulk Hogan beat for like 15 seconds on the mat. Yeah, yeah. It just feels like it doesn't mean anything, for sure. So. And nobody cares, like you said, though. I was fast, for, I was hitting the arrow a lot, so I don't know what they said in the booth. But I know in the beginning, it sure didn't feel like, oh man, like, not only is the hit, is the future of the company, but the future of the country and the world on the line in this next one. <laughs> it really doesn't feel like it. The really incredible thing to me is that they will drag this on to SummerSlam where they will have the match made in hell, which in my opinion is a lot worse than this match. So be oh, prepared dear. for that uh, when we get there. But um, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Even in the booth, like they still have some comedy stuff, but like even that, it's just not as good because it doesn't feel right for this situation. Like you said, we're supposed to feel like the country is on the line, but it's not. Everybody knows it's not. We're not even really pretending anymore, you know. What are we? We're, what are we defending? Just so Hulk Hogan won't have more of his shirts burned, I guess. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, man, it's, it's a nightmare. So uh, this is kind of what you get, what you deserve. And I think we're moving into an era, and the stories are going to be so good. And later on, some of the matches are going to be good. But what they're trying to give us, I think is matches don't matter. It's like we're giving you larger-than-life figures, like Hogan and the Warrior in a matchup against three people, and we're just supposed to, seeing people is supposed to make it okay. Like, oh, we saw these people, and don't worry about the match, don't worry about the feud, don't worry about the thing happening. And I just, I don't think that's going to work. No, I, I can't imagine that it will. Um, so, so, yeah. That's that's WrestleMania. Hogan rips up the flag, uh, the bad flag. He holds up the good flag and, and throws that down as well, like you said, for some reason. But, uh, yeah, Hulk Hogan is your champion again and sure doesn't feel like it did a few years ago. So. No, I don't think I realized he won the belt till you just said it then. <laughs> yeah, no, it's weird to think of, right? Yeah, and if, if you think we're overstating this, Look at the history of the of the product, and then tell me what it means that Hogan's going to lose the belt in November of the same year. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a different world that we're in now. It is a less Hulk Hogan friendly world that we are going to be talking about as we go along here. Don't have to give a this Tuesday night in Texas so that <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, Hulk Hogan lost. But something went wrong the other night, and we're going to try to redo it. <laughs> We're going to talk about that when we get there, because that yeah. is some of the strangest circumstances that I have ever heard about, so that'll be I'm some odd to that. stuff. Uh, yeah. For sure. All right, that is WrestleMania 7. Uh, the next show we have uh, will be April 27, 1991, Saturday night's main event. Uh, some good stuff and some bad stuff on this card. We have a really nice-looking battle royal with some big names in it. we got Bret Hart against Ted DiBiase. Tito and uh, the Mountie going at it again in uh, hopefully a longer match. We got Randy Savage in the booth. We some interesting stuff. Uh, we'll also have to suffer through Ultimate Warrior against Sergeant Slaughter again. And this is a hard one. So it's the Nasty Boys and the Bushwhackers. So I don't know what to say about that. that that's a tough one to even read on paper. 
I looked at some of the pay-per-view cards uh, going forward, and I saw a whole lot of Nasty Boys and a whole lot of Bushwhackers on yeah. those cards. Unfortunate. Um, but uh, there'll be some good stuff as well, so that is what we'll be bringing to you next time, along with some good bonus footage that I'm definitely going to start digging up just about as soon as we stop doing recording here. I think in the few the few seasons that he works a job, if George Costanza could wear his little work pants and just walk into the scene with Slaughter and Adnan, he would just be the third person. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think you're probably right about that. So, huh? Oh man! And then the Warriors got to get his win back, of course. Of course, yeah. No, that's. Uh, I have no doubt that that's how that will go. But then again, they're still keeping Slaughter for SummerSlam, so. I don't yeah, know what kind it could of be a front end there. with all of them. So we're gonna put Hogan and Warrior back together too, and and they've done it so poorly that nobody, you know, it doesn't really matter either. Agreed. It definitely does not feel like it matters. So, oh boy, yeah. So we just, I think, have that one uh, Saturday Night's Main Event, and then we will be at SummerSlam, and it will be Bye Bye Warrior. It will be uh, Jake and uh, his his stuff with the Undertaker, and uh, mm. it's gonna be a lot of. I think I'm gonna do next week. Uh, in addition to the Saturday Night's Main Event, we are going to do the run-up to SummerSlam, so we are about to cover some really, really hot stuff next week, yes. in my opinion. Yeah, this is getting into some of the great feuds. It's the kind of stuff we're talking about, though, that we talked about some of the greatest moments in the series so far, and we end on a note that makes me feel like, at least for a moment, I don't even want to do the next show, but then I also know it's not going to be like that, you know, and there's <laughs> going to be other things. But, you know, it, it, it's a strange time in the WWF. It is, yes. To make up for Nest Boys versus Bushwhackers, I think, yeah, in the next show we will cover those Jake Roberts Ultimate Warrior videos, which are something we've been looking forward to since the day we started this series. So we're going to have some real nice stuff on the next show. Uh, maybe we'll just gloss over the crap that we don't care about, and uh, it's, it's going to be very good stuff, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, when we come back, I think it'll be the time I was watching WWF because I know we started watching in the build up for those, the match made in heaven. Yeah. We'll probably and start, start touching on it for the first time. You're going to have to tell me what are some of your earliest memories of that? If you can pick them out, because I'm always interested in those, uh, those first moments of wrestling. I know a few of them flare bleeding against, uh, Fujinami and, uh, a few others, but you're, you're going to have to keep sharing those. Cause I'm excited to hear about them. I think, weirdly, one that comes to mind instantly is Sid yelling on that platform with those veins in his neck and uh, with Gene Oakland interviewing him. Uh, if there's one thing Sid does well, it's the look, so I can't blame that image from being in your mind, for sure. So, good stuff. And we'll do, obviously, we'll stuff we'll talk about next week, because we were watching uh, when Jake was doing all his rituals with the Ultimate Warrior. Mm, yes, yes, very good stuff there that we're going to be covering. It really is a new generation, though. It's not a new generation gimmick and what's to come, but, like, the things that are exciting, a lot of it right now is some of that kind of the Undertaker, like, putting Jake with the Undertaker, putting kind of some of the new with the old. That's some some of the energies coming, I think, off of things like that. I think so, yeah. We're we're starting to get into a transitional period, and uh, there's a lot that you could say about that. So, So we'll get into it as we go. There'll be some very fun stuff to go over, I think. Yeah, so big WrestleMania 7, uh, WWF going forward. This is the year that Ric Flair is going to show up with that big gold belt. This is Undertaker Hogan. This is potentially Flair Hogan. This is Savage, the end of his career. Uh, we'll, we'll move into a reinstate the Macho Man time in a year, calendar year or so. 
So, man, there's a lot going on in the WWF, a lot that we've been waiting for, ready to get into it. Uh, Saturday night's main event and bonus material that Ms. Fan is going to, I believe, knock out of the park. Oh, I will do my best. And, uh, yeah, got a lot of good stuff coming in 1991. So uh, hold on your hats. It's going to be some fun stuff. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. If you want to shout us out, I am on Twitter. I am at SpectralGent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow anytime. Also, check out all the other great stuff on LOP Radio and uh, on LOPForums.com and WrestlingHeadlines.com for a lot of great written material as well. I hope you'll come join that conversation. That is everything we've got for you today. So until next time, until Saturday night's main event and the road to SummerSlam 91, uh, we will be back with that. Until then... Say goodbye to the people, Mystic. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I've never saw this one in books Or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features keep telling myself nothing to fear it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared it's just an undiscovered creature 